this one's probably six or seven years old. You think a new phone's going to do anything special for you? Yeah, my wife, my hotspot wife, I'll be much better. Your wife, <laughs> your wife's hotspot will be better. What? How's your phone change that? <laughs> I don't know. Tethering. Tethering. Is this going to be the intro? Are we recording? We're not. No, not recording at all. But I am glad you asked about the mic distance because not a lot. This isn't your first rodeo, but no one has ever asked that. And we've had several guests. Yeah, like Morgan was saying, the last guest that we had on the show, I had to push the entire stand a little closer. What was the last guest? It was a her. Yeah. Yeah. It was a mystery her. It was a mystery her. And the 70s were a roaring era of fun and uh, laissez-faire attitude, which is kind of what I'm looking forward to now in life. Liberation. <laughs> exactly. Liberation. But we do have a guest on the program um, on the 71st episode of Meandering. Uh, this is my friend Andy has joined us this evening. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I don't know Andy. This is, yeah, you've known him for 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> and we were playing our little dice game, and, and that's about it. I like these sorts of introductions because it puts my theory to the test that this show can be like an icebreaker of sorts. And um, not that we get into um, questioning mode or anything like that about uh, the individual sharing the uh, program with us. But we get to see and we get to showcase a little bit of Andy's opinions on some of the topics that, that we're going to go over. Sweet. Not that we know what the hell we're going to go over. No, anyways. we never do. There's no plan. Liberation's an interesting start. I feel liberated. Liberated from what? Aspects of my life that wouldn't have wanted me to feel liberated. Liberated from yourself? Somewhat, yes. I've been reading more than I ever have in the last month or so because I've wanted to fill my time with things that got me away from things that were affecting me emotionally. There, I'll start with a little bit of candid vulnerability. I feel like I'm in a good space. I don't know. Morgan's been my surrogate psychologist here for about eight out of the last ten weeks, maybe even longer. 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 <laughs> it's an unpaid position too, I might. <laughs> That's not true. You get you get to see my my progress. <laughs> uh, it's debatable. It's debatable. There has been. I just keep it I keep it quiet and keep it chill. The cowboy hat, not progress. <laughs> it's the Sasha persona. That comes out with the cowboy hat. A little, little Old Town Road uh, feel to that. I told you why I put that hat on and how it makes me feel. Well, first of all, I just found it at my parents' place. It's actually my younger brother's hat who legitimately wears it, but it doesn't fit him. And so um doesn't fit him like he wants it. Anyway, so I decided to throw it on and I'm like, huh, I could pull this off. And then, yeah, I... I said i gotta throw on an accent too if i want to go the full way so i actually wore the hat out in public this past weekend i went to a local juice shop in flower mound the juice bar um, okay yep. you know where that's at mm -hmm. by the by the nicer croaker i guess no. <laughs> i don't know all the, the, croaker on the look, good side of the croaker on the nice side of flower mound <laughs> but um no i walked in and i had an accent the whole time and i'm sitting there in a cowboy hat and nobody questioned like whether I was being authentic or not. So for a moment, I felt as if I could pull it off. And if I was consistent with it, I probably could be because I could rewire my brain circuitry to actually 
think that I'm a cowboy. I mean, accents in general are just rewired brain um, circuits. It's, you don't come out of the womb with a country accent. You don't, you're not a five-year-old. I guess there are younger kids with country accents, but typically an accent develops in your teens and into adulthood because of social influences and maybe just the way that the language receptors in the brain change over time based on dem demographic and what you're around and the amount of time you spend in a field. <laughs> I, I will say that I think there's something to that, just uh, trying something and being confident uh, with it. Um, so during lockdown, I obviously couldn't get a haircut for a while. And so my hair is now four inches longer than it's ever been in my entire life. Really? Uh, it looks good. Yeah. So yeah, was, thank you. Um, but you know, I, I definitely, once I was able to get a haircut again and I didn't, you know, started getting some, some looks and some questions from some people. And hmm. I've even started putting my hair up like kind of in a, in a bun, so to speak, you know, just to keep it out, you know, out of my face and things whenever I'm, you know, being active outdoors and things like that. And, and uh, yeah, some people have been like, why are you doing that? That's not you. That's not your personality. How and dare I, they? Yeah. They don't know you, Andy. You're exactly. allowed to do whatever the hell you want in your liberated state of existence. That's <laughs> that's the point. If I could grow hair, I'd probably do the same thing. Hair well, on top you, you of my can. head. You can. It's just going to cost a lot of money. Well, I've got one look if I <laughs> transplant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ask LeBron. You can, always, you can always go with wigs, man. Nah. I only wear those when I'm trying to be I mean, your inconspicuous. Wig, your tennis player wig's pretty good. Mm, I did. Or is that yours? That's not yours. That was a bar. No, that was mine from uh, like five or six Halloweens ago, and I threw it on. As a, that's my uh, bring it out whenever I want to wear a wig for a costume wig. So it's like not an everyday wig. wig. You know, it's not an everyday wig. I, own I don't know. It. I think you could own that every day. <laughs> I don't want to wear a wig, Morgan. I'm 37 years old. If I if I throw on a wig, it's like conceding to my receding. <laughs> no, I think I can change the chemical, the the gene expression that I have, and say, "Hey, you're going to start growing hair in your 40s again, like you used to." I think it's possible. Jason Witten's doing it, right? Is he? He's regrowing hair. Well, yeah, because he's going through some sort of oh, program or something. Like the Bosley like, thing? you know, on the sidelines when he was a player, he's balding and, and very balding. And then when he was in the booth as an announcer, he had a full head of hair. It was amazing. Hmm. Interesting. Deion Sanders went that way. LeBron as well. Well, he had hair plugs, I think, was more specific. Yeah, I mean, you're, you've got good hair, man. So yeah, do, well do whatever the hell you yeah. want with it and, and switch up the styles and all that. And you got a good beard, too. Like, nobody's going to see your face on the show. We don't show faces or anything like that. People know my face because I'm on social media all the time. But this guy, nobody knows who he looks like after 70 Perfect. episodes. How would you describe Morgan right now, if you could? Describe him to the audience. Um, well, do people remember the, uh, the old Mac versus PC commercials? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 think of the PC. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I'll take that. All right. I forget his name. John something. Uh, is that actor? He's he's done more than that uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, those commercials feel like they came out forever ago. Yeah, it's a lifetime. And where we're at now with computers and technology and all that. But really, those were turn of the decade, I guess, or two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Mm, maybe yeah 
Do you recall when those commercials came out? No, I can when find was, out. When was the big Apple versus Microsoft like? I feel wars. like it was pre-iPhone, wasn't it? And that came out in 2006. Oh, geez. Then, man, but, maybe my time's I, off. I, I could be wrong. I suffer from time dilation and forgetfulness quite often. That's what happens when you get older, sir. No, it's what happens when you don't have a concept for time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, sure. you're getting old, bro. It's not that. It's Time's the fa- a flat circle. Well, explain that one. I can't explain it. It's just from uh, <laughs> True Detective. Oh, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> season one. Yeah, it's the only season I saw. True Detective. I don't. I don't understand what it means, but I quote it a lot. Ah, uh, it's a hell of a show. It yeah, swept that, awards for a reason yeah. that year because man, that was really good. Every time I get to talking about True Detective season one, it's one of those shows I want to watch again. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. The Wire is another one that I'll watch over and over again. The Wire's dialogue is really, really good. Yeah. The character building's really yeah, good. Yeah, character building's awesome, too. There's um, certain shows that when, when I get to talking about them, I just feel invigorated to, to rewatch. The Leftovers is another one. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I don't think I'm going to go back and watch that one. <laughs> too depressing? No, it was good the first time through, but I don't, I don't know if it's a rewatcher. How do me. you know if you caught everything on the first watch through? Do you care? Not really. God, so cynical. Not really. It was kind of disappointing the ending was, honestly. Third season is definitely the weakest entry in The Leftovers. But the second season was better than the first season, which oh, yes. is a little bit weird mm-hmm. for a series. But That's one of the better seasons of any TV show. Have you seen The Leftovers? Oh, yeah. All of them? Mm-hmm. Good. I still have not watched the final episode of Leftovers. Maybe one day you can watch a whole show or a whole episode or a, a whole full movie in one sitting. I've watched season one multiple times. I've watched season two multiple times. I've watched the first 15 minutes and I know the rest. But I have not watched the very last episode of The Leftovers. So I left off at like when she was about Nora, I think is the character's name. She was about to go into the machine and spoiler alert, do something. <laughs> um, and that's where I left off. On the leftovers. Are, are you intentionally not watching it because you want to savor it or do that you was just the, not care? That was the initial intent. But then over time, I've just forgotten about it. And yeah. yes, I, I told my wife at the time that, like, we're not going to watch this now because I don't want this to be over. And I want to rewatch the uh, first couple of seasons beforehand. And I did that, but I never got back to the <laughs> final, final episode. episode. So still. Maybe I lack uh, impulse control, but um, I can never not watch the, especially the ending of something once it's come out. But when I'm rewatching shows, so like I rewatched uh, Shit's Creek recently. Oh, that's a good one. And I got to, I couldn't watch the last episode because I knew how emotional it made me the first time. The very <laughs> last episode? Yeah. Mm. Um, that's on like 10 seasons now? No. No, it was only six seasons. Yeah. Um, you you watched Shit's Creek? Yes, it's a good show. It is a good show. Good comedy. Okay, good. We agree on a good comedy yeah, show. Yeah, I can't believe you like it because it is good comedy. I really like it, actually. I right. turned my wife at the time on to Shit's Creek as well. Yeah. And she likes it too. It's a good, yeah, it is a good show. Okay. I've only watched three seasons. <laughs> there's six, so keep going. Yep, I'll keep going. And then there's an hour long movie. No, yeah. like documentary type yeah. thing about. The making of the series. And yeah, all it's like kind of like a behind the scenes of the making of the last season. Yeah. That it kind of went into all of it, too. It yeah. was really good, actually. Once you watch, once you finish the show, you should definitely watch the special. It's yeah. interesting that you use the word emotional with Shit's Creek because I, there, so far in my viewing, 
three seasons or so, there have been moments, of course, where it's like, oh, this is heartfelt. But it hasn't really hit that um, like super emotional weight. I guess that changes as the seasons progress a little. I mean, it's definitely not the most emotional of shows, but I really love it because it has a mix of comedy, um, but also it's very heartwarming. Like it's, um, I feel like it's kind of unique too in the sense that there's um, nobody is really putting anybody down for comedy in that show. Um, it's you know, there at they're, first there is there well, is a, a little bit. But I mean, it's kind of sibling rivalry. More well, even the anything, way they right? look at the townsfolk, but, like the Chris yeah, Elliott character yeah. and all that, and they he's kind of excellent. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Roland. Um, and, but then they they sprinkle in some really good, like the the episode um, when um, I'm blanking on on his name now, but um, David. whenever he, uh, David's uh, boyfriend, whenever he comes out to his parents. Yeah, um, that was that's a, like in season five. Yeah, oh, oh. haven't made it there. Sorry, <laughs> David has a boyfriend. Yeah, I guess we should probably in, switch topics. Season now. three. <laughs> Last I checked, Dude. he was he he was trying to mac on the that's the hotel one, girl, bro. Stevie. That's yeah. Season one. <laughs> By the end of season one, they're done with that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a good show. Yeah, it is a good show. Are we past the golden era of TV? Do you think? You think that was that was it? The 2005 to like no i think you just have so much content things don't necessarily stand out like they would have in the past like when everybody's watching something like i think schitt's creek may be one of the last comedies that i wouldn't have thought anything after seinfeld would have carried that much weight really your enthusiasm yeah yes and no like um i don't know that it 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 gained what seinfeld had at the end of the the seinfeld run yeah um, so I just Shit's Creek has a cult following now. No, I'm oh saying God, Curb. yes, yeah, but it, it's I would say it's even more mainstream than Curb, though. Yeah. Um, you're a Curb watcher as well, and I haven't watched all of it. Anybody but it's kind who of calls it Curb knows <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, Curb's hard to stick with sometimes because you know it's not scripted, right? They just kind of have a general idea of where they want the scene to go, and the actors just go off of each other. And some people don't. I can't flow with that, but I love that Larry David style. Oh, yeah. We tried to incorporate it into the show a little oh, that's bit. That's all we do, right? I mean, yeah. I've got to be the the serious guy, and you got oh, to combat. You got to combat me with so jokes and, and yeah. put me down. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. I'm the man. There's no putting me down, man. <laughs> I, t- I told you this. The the zone, the the talk about oh. the zone and all that. No, 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 no. I've I've spent a little more time thinking about it. It's purely energy related. So not that you would, but if somebody is trying to get you out of your zone, they're trying to mess with your energy a little bit, aren't they? They're, they're sure. trying to affect your energy yeah. and you, you wouldn't do that and you don't do that. I can. Mess. You can, <laughs> but even then it wouldn't, it wouldn't work if my energy was like unfuck withable, I guess. Oh, I could find the chink in the armor. That's up to the, the person on the other end. No. You think your psychological prowess is that advanced to where you can yeah, seek out? Yeah, I can find out. the sore spot, sure. But that's the thing. What if there is no sore spot? Everybody has a sore spot. What if they've gotten over their sore spots? Mm, they're lying to themselves. <laughs> this is the the road downward like, like, of cynicism. That, the way you're going along, you would think that the longer a couple is together, like they would never have fights, right? Huh? Say that again? So the longer like a couple is together, the the fewer fights they would ever have. If you if you got over your soft spots and you didn't 
you know, you can kind of roll with things, but, but it's the opposite, right? Well, that's because you have somebody to confront knows. your soft spots. Well, the more that somebody knows you, the more they know what bothers you and the quicker they can, they can set you off. You know me well. Yeah. You can't set me off. I, I hold back, bro. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to an episode where you don't because I'm interested in seeing it. I'll I'll let you know. I'll, well, uh, Morgan, I feel enraged at this moment in time. <laughs> now, the only thing that you say that pisses me off a little bit is you, <laughs> is you think I'm like some sort of social media uh, addict. You are. I'm not. You're a social media whore. I don't know why I don't. So you know what? You know what pisses me off. <laughs> what pisses me off is that you think you have. You have me down when it comes to that. Yeah, I've got your pigeonholed. You're out. No, I'm not going to argue myself out of it because I have like 34,000 tweets. But um, <laughs> I think, no, it's more. I don't like, want to delete anything. It's more I'm like 10K plus. And, and no, I don't want to delete my tweets. They're canonical, like just recorded histories of, of my thoughts and emotions at that time. And also comment commentary on um, world current events before we were doing this in winter of 2019. Like that was my form of not really uh, commentary, but just absorbing what was going on in the world and, and having a say so, which is a lot of people's usage for social media. But I didn't do it for eyes and ears. I did it mainly for myself so I can keep track of my standing on certain topics and reflect back and look at consistency and look at authenticity and when I get to these reflection points in life, I like to look back and be honest with myself. Like, is this the way that you've always felt about these types of things? And then I look well, back and I say, yes, reflection it was. is fine. But in a, a public forum of reflection where everybody can see what you're doing is not a good thing. Oh, because that gives them evidence that I've been authentic and real the entire time. Well, times change and people look back and you'll get, you can get canceled, you can get fired, you can get not get a job because of what you said online That's about... Based on those people. Yeah. Well, and their skewing well, of words. It could still come back and haunt you, I'm just saying. Just saying. Like, what, what kind of things have I said? Well, you probably want to take your raps down. <laughs> Why is that, Morgan? Do you have raps? I do have rap music. <laughs> Sorry. Why? Why? You, I'm just kidding. Is, no, but is it because? No, I mean it's a legit. It's not a concern, but it's a legitimate statement to say, "Hey, if you want a career in yeah, politics, yeah, if you or want that like business that, job, that's you know, you want to work for the public CIA, facing. Yeah. yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, I got news for you. You'd have felled the CIA. I didn't. Yeah, you did. I didn't. Yeah. Because there's, I there's, think if you had passed, you know, when, when the, I didn't. That's true. <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> so uh, it is interesting though because um, I, I, I see both sides of it. That you know, Twitter is a microblog, and what is a blog but an online journal? Sure. So you know, it is kind of a a real time reflection of of your actual thoughts and feelings. Yeah. It can be used against you as we've seen that it has for many people. Um notables and famous yeah. famous folks. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well probably yeah. even uh normal people in divorce proceedings that may have affected them quite a bit. If they were talking about their divorces on yeah. social media. Yeah. Which I have not. Well yours I know you're different, but not everybody That's true. But you warned you warned me about um and yeah, I tried to. <laughs> yeah. 
So from episode like 60 to 67, there was at least 20 to 30 minutes. Maybe I'm on the light side of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where I'd be discussing what was going on in real time in my life. It was a more personal sort of uh, section of what the show's covered. And, um, but it's so hard to, to quarantine those sorts of emotions when they're kind of like on the, they can't be contained. Even if we were talking about baseball, if we were talking about something completely foreign to what was going on in my personal life, it would have translated through. It's not the same. Oh, we got more sirens. <laughs> A lot of people getting shot in the summer. <laughs> or, well, just in general, because people are back in on mass out there. Yeah. It's uh, fun. You like it? No. You like navigating a jungle of yeah, folks? Yeah, traffic's back now. Yeah. Uh, it's absolutely back 100%. So uh, one last thing on on that topic, from from my perspective at least, because I uh, feel like I used to be more on Morgan's side, where um, it was like, don't ever put anything online that could be used against you. Um, and I, in my personal kind of liberation, mm-hmm. um, have been trying to practice more honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, it comes in a lot of forms, but... It's actually saying what I think whenever somebody says something that I disagree with, where I used to just kind of be quiet and sure. just, I don't want to argue. I'm just going to, you know, but it's like, I can respectfully say what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also comes in the form of posting the things that I think online on social media. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of in a pendulum swing moment to where I'm going from one extreme to the other and maybe I'll land somewhere in the middle. But it is balanced. The pendulum is balanced. So you can look at what you're presently doing and say that it could be a balance to what you had been doing prior. And that, yes, the equilibrium that you'll find over time is going to be somewhere in the middle. But that right now you're just on that other side of the pendulum swinging in the other direction. And that's a good thing if you are aware that what you are coming from was withholding what was on your mind and what, what you wanted to say. So that's yep. kind of, I, I, I sympathize with that fully because that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like, yeah, for that 10 episode spree, I got out a lot of things that I had never gotten out. And now the pendulum is done swinging from one extreme to the other. And we can get back to talking about everyday bullshit. <laughs> Not that we enjoy talking about that. Not small talk, because we both hate small talk. But, you know, what the show was about prior to that interjecture of life that hit me out of nowhere. That is the part that I'm claiming is unavoidable to not have influence your prose, your diction, the the way that you, you're where your emotional state is. I don't know, man. Yeah, I think you put way too much into it. But the analy- way too much into it. You think I an- overanalyze this? Yeah. Well, the analytical mind isn't necessarily a bad that thing. You have one, by the way. <laughs> That's based. You're just trying to piss me off now. <laughs> Finding those soft spots. That's how good my analytical mind is. I can see what he's doing before. No, I mean, so why wouldn't I have an analytical mind? In this uh, particular bro, if scenario. you had an analytical mind, you would probably approach things exactly like me. <laughs> By the way, I've 
<laughs> I've been tested. Like my number one strength is analytic. Have you been tested for narcissism? I don't. I probably have that too. Sure. <laughs> Not no. nearly your. I don't approach your level yet. Oh, geez. All right. See, now we're just fighting fire with fire. I like it. You've seen me break down problems at work. You've also seen me break down um, puzzles when it comes to like gaming and things you got to figure out. Long story short, you've seen my way of tackling a problem. And yes, you don't, you don't necessarily agree with my problem resolution tactics all the time. You think that I take too long or you think I bend rules or you think I take shortcuts, but you see, that's all, that's all like to, to someone who's welcoming of criticism, it's all muddled to a certain degree because sometimes you'll say you take too many shortcuts and sometimes you say you take way too long. So that's my pendulum going from one extreme to the other. The middle ground is in your opinion, what? Middle ground on, on problem resolution. And anal- analyzing well, uh, generally, situations. Generally, you get to the point fairly quickly if you're really got a good hold of what the, the situation is. What if that's overconfidence? Well, it just depends on what you're looking at, I guess. Like life situations. I think a lot of people so, are overconfident. And I'm not saying you are, but I'm saying that your particular life and the experience in certain areas the advice that you can give is good advice, but it's observational versus having gone through it. So? Well, that's tough. That's tough to say. Why do I have to go through something to... You said this. No. You said people have to go through things. Yes, they do because they don't fucking listen. I don't have to do that. Because you listen. Because I can listen and so I can observe. Difference. Okay, I get it. <clears throat> And then you can turn that into refined advice based on what you're ingesting as other people's experience. I, I get that. Okay. <laughs> so so what I'm hearing is that uh, Morgan is the therapist that, <laughs> that takes all of the raw emotion and feeling mm-hmm. and then processes it and bluntly says, this is... Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I try not to be as blunt. I try to be easy. Why? Just, just not right now. But because it cuts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. cut. It doesn't yeah. cut. We do um, No, no, not necessarily you per se. Um, but yeah, I don't always <laughs> point everything out. Usually, somebody's got to irritate me for me to go straight for the jugular. Well, and not, not even trying to say that you do it maliciously, but that that analytical yeah. mind lets so, you, you and because you're removed from it, you know, yeah. to a degree, you can say, well, this is what I see and this is what I think. But ultimately, then, you know, the the patient has to, you know, do what they feel like is best. Yes. Uh, and so some, I, I guess I'm becoming more of a believer in take some time, take a beat, take a breath. But sometimes you have to do what you feel in your gut is right. Yeah. Even if, if other people would say that's not wise or that's not the best course I've been doing. And I just say that because I've been doing all my life what everybody else said I should do. And sometimes even not what they said that I should do, but what I thought they would say that I and should do. how that pan out for you when you took everyone else's advice over your own? Uh, it left me very unhappy and, mm. and miserable and, and a lot of self-loathing uh, because I was trying to make everybody else happy and there's no way to make everybody happy in your life. And so I felt like I was being pulled in 
so many different directions. <laughs> See, now, if a therapist was telling me this as I was telling them how I was feeling, then I'd be like, hey, this is good therapy. <laughs> now, that's the only difference in this situation is because I think more, I know a little bit about Morgan's personality. He does not bite his tongue. He does and always has sort of let his feelings be known regardless of who it is who's mm. around. Well, even in your marriage, you said you set boundaries pretty early. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's different, though. Yeah, okay. But wouldn't you do that in all of your relationships, then? Kind of. No, no. Because some boundaries don't need to be set. I, and there's, there's relationships different. where, yeah, it's, it's different. different. It was a different time in life, I guess. My friends were very important <laughs> to me. My family was very important to me. It's oh, like, yes. Um, so I just made it very clear. Don't ever put me in a position to have to choose between you and my friends or you and my family because I'm going to choose them every time. You are just some chick I'm dating. But we, we have talked about this is back to the Mike and the Mechanics living years conversation. We have talked about not holding back things that later in life you'll look back and say, I regret that I didn't say that. Or I regret that I didn't do that. I've had that feeling before. So I know what it feels like to feel the regret. And long ago, I made the committed choice to not want to feel that again. So that mm. translates into like a, a sort of shift in, in the attitude about like, like Andy's suggesting, just not holding. If you yeah, have confidence might, in, in the might, respect level that you are as a human being and that you're not going to offend anyone by being uh, authentic and, and honest, and you're just going to kind of rely on the truth to navigate you through all the, the surrounding noise and get you past it so you can get into the clearing. And whoever comes along and is, is with you there in that clearing at the end of, of all the noise, that's kind of just the next phase that you evolve into. And, you know, the, the old, the, the adage that the higher you go, the thinner the air or the, the, less, um, the less people um, from your youth will be around because you're changed and you're improving your life or whatever you want to correlate it to. That's kind of what I'm suggesting here being honest about these sorts of situations does it accelerates the, the I, getting rid of the track. I, I think you, people just have to know it doesn't matter what choices I make. And when I make them, I'm going to regret a choice. I'm going to, I'm not, no one is going to go through their life making all these choices and go, yep, don't regret anything. That's bullshit. It just doesn't matter what choice they make. They're going to, there's going to be some point in time in their life. They're going to regret or they'll maybe not regret. Maybe that's the wrong word. Well, think about it and you go, that wasn't, I shouldn't have made that choice. But the hope is to turn the circular nature of those, those same regrets and those same wrong choices into maybe opening into, I've learned from my mistakes. So let's move on but to a slew of new problems. People, most people don't break out of that circular pattern. They continue to make the same mistake over and over again. Like and that's being attracted to the same type of woman, for example. <laughs> And they, they can't you, get out of that. Is that you try to chip away? The, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned behavior that was learned somewhere in life. I don't know. But, but yeah, I, 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 I would think for myself, I would rather feel like I made a mistake and be sorry for that than regret not making a choice or not saying something. The regret of not doing something to me is worse than the regret of... 
making a bad decision. Obviously, some bad decisions can, can be really bad and can can be life changing. Sure, um, but um, but yes, it is. It's that that cyclical nature of it. If you continue to make the same bad choices over yeah. and over again, and so it's it's making a, a decision, owning it, deciding was it good or was it bad, and if it was bad, learn from it and, and try to do better in the future. Yeah, it comes down to awareness and which analytical people don't have analytical ability. Which most people don't have. In which case they should pay a therapist or have a free one like you. <laughs> well, well, you would want to, well, you just would want to try to hope that people become more aware of their, like, you, I know we, we all know these people who it doesn't matter what they do in life. Nothing's ever their fault, right? It's always their boss or their friend or whoever is the reason why they didn't they can succeed. Or, yeah. Sure. And they're not really looking at their part of the issue to make a change to their behavior. Right. And I don't know. I don't think you can ever teach that out of people. I just think that's the way we are. Well, I well, think when they're alone, alone, I have that optimistic hope that, that when, they when they are just emotionally are. alone completely, that they feel that sort of energy that they used to be surrounded with is no longer there. And they're the reason why versus, Boy. versus, I know, the, uh, well, I mean, I'm 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 sensing that you're the optimist. I, yes. I am the optimist. Morgan is the pessimist. Absolutely. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. Glass is half full. Glass is overflowing. Or half empty. Sorry, he yeah. just half full. Look, I got him. I got him. He's really an optimist at heart. <laughs> he really is. He does this. Sirens. More empathy than a lot of people. Yeah, you scored high on me. the empathy test, right? It was funny that I had a little more empathy than some of my coworkers, and everybody thinks that uh, I'm the one who. Uh, is not empathetic. I'm on board with both of you guys in various aspects of this conversation. I am, I can sympathize with Andy. Like I, I think our, our enlightenment phase and our age <laughs> is more comparable than your enlightenment phase <laughs> and your age with mine. However, that doesn't mean that I don't think you're enlightened in these discussions. It just does boil down to when my analytical mind gets going, on this specifically, it does boil down to experience for me when it comes to this. And yes, you, you've been through things in, in my life that, or I'm sorry, you've been through things in your life that are unique to your experience, but it feels as if there's mass experience sharing that's occurring because of not just COVID, but because of, um, the age range that, we're in the era that we're in when it comes to relationships, the reasons why certain things don't work out, the dramas of certain aspects of things. There's just a little bit of um, shared synchronicities in, in some of the stories that when you hear someone's attitude towards, towards what they're doing to get out of that and to sort of break away from it and, and regain themselves and refine themselves, and it silently, you know, registers on multiple levels with what you're trying to do, then that's the advice that you would want over the shrink. <laughs> Which keeps you in that circular pattern of not breaking out and making the same mistake over and over again. Maybe the shrink is, but the shrink's trying to get money from you in the professional setting. He wants you to stay in that circle. Not necessarily. He or she. Mm. I'd like to think they do. Not you, the free shrink. But the paid for shrink, of course. He has no shortage of customers. 
There's no shortage for for those guys. Yes, they but don't the have to real. Keep, they don't have to keep people cycled in and locked down. It'd be interesting to see like the average amount of time that someone with serious life issues spends at a therapist. I've never been, so I don't know. You ever been to therapy? Yeah, I I had one visit. I highly recommend it. Yeah, with a good one. I had years with one that I did not in hindsight was not was not good and wish that I had those years and money back. <laughs> Did you feel as if they weren't good as you were experiencing the therapy with them or were you convinced that they were helping? I didn't think that they were bad, but I knew that I wasn't it wasn't helping and I thought that it was my fault. But now I have a therapist that uh is actually I I trust. I think that was the problem is I didn't trust my previous therapist. I won't even use the word therapist. I don't think my previous one was that qualified, <laughs> um, a counselor. Um, but now I have a therapist that I feel like is qualified and that actually I can trust to tell them anything will be honest with me, but will not try to shame me or do anything else and will is just truly looking out for my best interests. And so it's, it's much, it's very freeing to, uh, to have someone like that, that I can, can talk to once a week. Well, that's what Morgan's here for. <laughs> not really. So I, <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm not bound by, you know, client, uh, privilege or whatever yeah. where i have to stay silent about it i can talk about everything absolutely you that's can go on twitter you i can love go on the podcast you can t- <laughs> i love <laughs> that aspect of it and that's that's part of the the point here in this sort of open dialogue discussion you said um when you first sat down that you know nothing's really off limits and that you'll try to contribute to any topic that we want to discuss that sort of openness and vulnerability is what I kind of look forward to when it comes to this show every single week is because even if we're talking about current events, I can tap into like, okay, what's my rawest sort of opinion on this topic that I've contemplated on my own time. And then Morgan can shoot it down if he wants. I don't give a shit. What drives people crazy? Uh, I don't know everything. That's a problem, right? Yeah. People's pendulums are, swinging back and forth very quickly. Yeah. I mean, they go from one extreme to the other, kind of like on a day to day. Right. Look I mean, at masks. Some of you look at vaccines. shot other people for being questioned on wearing a mask every week or every day. It seems like there's some story about somebody flipping out on an airline for being asked about wearing a mask to where physical like confrontations are daily recurring. It's crazy. That's dumb. <laughs> Do we get to that point with vaccines or the, the pro vaccine crowd a little bit more calm when it comes to um, wearing the mask. I would have met. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm suggesting like right now the temperature for um, vaccines and people on the other side who are opposed to it seems to be intensifying to the point where it's like not too yeah. much longer. The and unvaxxed people are the problem. <laughs> right. Not too much longer. And people are going to be real mad at the anti-vax crowd for like keeping this going. But why? Well, I, I don't think so because the unvaccinated won't be around that much longer. So <laughs> I, I've heard yeah, this. like 99% of the people hospitalized at this latest strain unvaccinated. The Delta variant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unvaccinated. Well, well, yeah. And today's news is that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which was taken by 
several million people is not as effective against the Delta variant. So, and also the future variants are on the horizon, several of them. So not right. as effective as the other vaccines, but is it more still, effective than no vaccine? Than not. Absolutely. Yes. That is true. But still, in my opinion, the highest level of effectiveness is what you've been doing to prevent you from getting it the entirety of the time. Because if you haven't gotten it the entirety of the time, then you're doing something okay. Yeah, I mean, you can have common sense measures that are going to help reduce the risk of infection and spread. But for me, so I, I got vaccinated because not because I was worried about getting sick myself. Like I, you know, felt like obviously there you can have underlying conditions. There's you know small percentage chance that you know someone young and healthy like me could get really sick and die. But that didn't scare me. The scary thing to me was the thought of me being infected, asymptomatic, spreading it to somebody else who spread it to somebody else who died. Mm -hmm. And so I personally got vaccinated out of a sense of social responsibility. Is that completely alleviated now because you could still carry the virus and you could still give it to someone and they could still die even vaccinated? But the chances are a lot lower. slimmer. So Correct. it's it's a numbers game. You're right. Like there's there's no surefire method. Like if I was if if to me the thought that I could possibly infect somebody that could die was the worst possible thing that needed to be avoided at all costs, yeah. then I would never leave my house. And I'm just kind of I'm playing the odds of I'm gonna do everything that I can. I'm gonna get vaccinated, I'm gonna wash my hands, I'm gonna try to remain you know, socially distant somewhat with indoors, like, but you know, everybody makes choices. It, it's, it's, everybody has to weigh the costs sure. and the benefits and decide what the, what's worth it. My daughter started school May 1. She's come home sick three times with like little two, three day sore throat, sore throat stints or coughs. And, uh, she's acclimating to school like environment and kids are walking basically plagues when it comes to carrying diseases and various colds and whatnot. The psychology now that I go through day to day is when I drop her off and the kids don't wear masks. And my daughter's the most important person in my life when it comes to safety and security. And uh, yes, strangers are also important to a certain degree, but I am essentially handing her over to all the possibilities and the potentialities that I fear the most when she goes to a school on a day to day basis when it comes to viral infection, I guess, and the specific like fears that I have because they're not masked there. The way I see it is, and they're not vaccinating kids yet either. There is rumors of there being um, a shot for kids by the winter, I think. Yeah. I think they're in trials. Certain right now, age, but I, range I think that's even only done by six yeah. or something. 14, 12, so maybe even younger are being encouraged to get vaccinated already. <clears throat> not single digits. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't know if we go, I don't know. I don't know that it would necessarily hurt them. So the, the recurring thought and to work off of that last thing you said, not sure that it would necessarily hurt them. When Miguel's here and we have these discussions about COVID and, and he's very heavily on the side of like, get your shot, get vaccinated. Yeah, me too, by the way. You are as well. And Andy is as well. So I'm kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm the, the outlier here for sure. But it's the unknowns of what all of this does to children moving forward. It's the contemplation that 
my daughter's already had COVID, for example. Let's or she hasn't. Uh, but it's the the thought that over the course of the last two years, well, we don't know because we never got her tested for any of you know her coughs over the last two years or anything like that. It was at some points too much of a hassle to wait in a three mile long line because your kid had a cough. You didn't have a cough, so if she had it and you didn't grow, have symptoms, odds are it wasn't COVID and she just had a cough. But now it's to the point where if children have had it and they've been or, or presented with it from adults, we'll be able to analyze the effect that it has on them over the years. And I don't want to get into real anti-vax talk here or anything like that, but there have there have been instances where children suffer the worst of the unknown effects of things that adults rush out when it comes to handling these sorts of things. Even when it comes to, even when it comes to, when it comes to medicine in general, the adults seem to always be caring for the security of status quo and the, I don't know about that. Well, I think about prescription medication a lot when it comes to this argument, because I don't think a lot of the medications that have surfaced in the last 10 to 15 years were ever intended for seven-year-olds to have. I don't know that – I feel as if the, the age limit has reduced by at least a year or two as to when we're presenting kids with prescription medication since the turn of the 21st century. It's like in 2001, if you're 14 and on Ritalin, it's like – why is there a 14-year-old on Ritalin? And then in 2005, it's like, why is there a 12-year-old on Ritalin? And now it's like, you're six-year-olds on Ritalin? These things become habit. They become okay and tolerated because they've permeated the reality that big pharma and big medicine have pushed. And so I worry when it comes to this particular rollout that in five years, getting three shots for COVID a year is something your kid's going to have to do in order to go to school. Because if it ever reaches that point, then it's like a simple decision. It's no, it's, it's nah. For a multitude of reasons, because my trust in the big pharma system is just not there. There's no evidence to say, hey, yeah, these guys do a great job. Okay. My trust in medicine so and science let me ask is you there. This, then. The, the average lifespan growing year after year after year, of course, not this year because of COVID, but that's not due to pharma? You mean life expectancy being prolonged? Right. No. It's not due to pharma? It's not due to pharmaceuticals. No. Not okay. at all. What's it, oh, what's it what's due, due to? to then? I'm interested. Because pharmaceuticals allow people who got AIDS, right, to live a full life, essentially. Pharmaceuticals are also responsible for the opioid epidemic. I mean, there's, there's right, but an inverse that, that, that doesn't necessarily – but yeah, but that's not slowing down or, or increasing death rates. Even Ritalin in kids isn't killing kids when they're 20 and 30. They might get strung out on drugs because their parents are giving them pills. But I'm going to here to tell you, if you're giving your kid a Flintstone vitamin every day, telling them it's doing this some miracle to make them feel good, they're going to do the same thing with drugs when they get older. So what matters more, though, the, the life expectancy being prolonged or the quality of life well, decreasing? My, my suggestion here is that you're taking the 1% and you're blowing it up to be the 90%, and it's just not fact. What 1%? The 1% that doesn't work out, that is negatively impacted. 
in the 1% negative of Ridlin, you've blown it to be. That's not what 90% of the time happens with Ridlin. Well, it's not right. just Ridlin. I mean, there's Adderall, like, there's antidepressants. So when we're talking about kids, I think you want to expose kids to as much stuff as you can get them exposed to early so that their immune system builds. If you put them in a bubble and they're in a bubble until they're 18 years old, they're going to be an awfully sick adult and will probably die early, in my opinion. I mean, there's a reason that Europeans dominated the world. It's because they all lived in close quarters. It was cold. They all had disease. And when they hit the continent of Africa, they had no chance. Even here, the Native Americans, smallpox, right? The exposure to disease is important for the species. Right. So we should just grit and bear COVID. Well, I would have been for that. You were for that. What? You were also first in line for the vaccine. Well, the first in line, but I don't. I'm going to go ahead and get the vaccine. Why take the chance of being a long hauler who gets it and <laughs> has it for years? I've been close. I've also got a 90-year-old grandmother that I want to be around. Yeah. And I want to go places and not really worry. Yeah, it boils down to to that for me is that I'm not around a lot of older folks. I can control my environment well. I mean, I spend probably 75% of the time around two people. And that's it. Yeah. And the other quarter of the time is in public, but I'm masked up and not getting it, at least to my knowledge. So every week that we have this conversation, <laughs> I think about it a little bit more afterwards. And it's getting to the point where, you know, the Canadian borders are opening in August and Canada saying you have to have vaccinations to come back. Well, even like most destinations, if you're going on vacation to like Mexico or the Caribbean, you got to take a test before you can get on the plane to come back. Not Sweden. I've been contemplating a vacation to Sweden and you don't have to do it there. So maybe I'll just pick the places that don't require. You don't have to be tested or you don't have to be vaccinated. Or I think you have to have a negative test, but you don't have to have like the vaccinated passport thing or the. Uh, well, they haven't done that for anybody yet. No, no. Canada's going to. I don't know how they can because the, have you seen the vaccination card? I mean, it's easily. Forgeable. Forged. Absolutely. I've not seen the. Forged. I mean, it's a, it's a. Yeah. A little printout you could easily and, and duplicate. Actually, there's been some healthcare workers that have actually been arrested for selling uh, those cards. Fake ones for like five. <laughs> well, not even the fake pump. ones. The actual ones. They work oh, at, really? a, at, a, at like a vaccination site and they just steal a stack of cards and start selling them. There you go. Is that what? It, yeah. And and every place does them differently. Like I actually got two cards. One for my first and one for my second. They didn't fill it out for the mm. the second one. So I have two cards. Like that's so, that's not, I mean, what does that really say? Nothing, right? But yeah, I can make a photocopy. But they could still, yeah. they could still require it and people are going to forge it. And if they get busted forging it, it's a federal it. crime. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird times, man. It is. It is weird to see like that it, sort of card. Like, well, well, some of the anti-vaxxers, I'm all for it if you just say, I just don't want to get it. I'm just going to roll the dice. I'm going to go this way. But to tell me that I don't want those chips injected into me, shut the fuck up. Yeah, that's the extreme. Yes. 
I just let me make an excuse as why not to do it because I just don't want to say I don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Have have a good argument at least. I'm okay if you don't have any argument other than I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's at least that, honest. That is a good argument. <laughs> you know, it's honest, okay? You All can right. you can at least evaluate that on its merits, whereas the 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 Bill Gates microchip is is something that a little has outlandish. No yeah. Meanwhile, when cell phones become you know cochlear implants, everybody will line up around the store to get their implant. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, right. I mean, it, 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 the idea that they need to give us an injection so they can track us when we all carry around devices yeah, in our pockets all day. Track us, yeah. <laughs> track every single move is what and They make all these roads toll roads that track you when you're driving, even if you have your phone turned off. Absolutely. Well, even if everybody you pays phone. by credit card, so you can track all those transactions too. It's the mark of the beast. I'm telling you, video cameras everywhere. You remember when uh, our buddy Chris was on the show? It's like in the teens, right? The fifteenth yeah. episode, I think. He's in Mexico today. Is he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's vaccinated. He can go. He, I don't think he has to be vaccinated down there on the border. No. Interesting. He, um, we had a conversation about what it would take to get off the grid. Do you remember that? Like what the, the extent that the individual would have to go to in order to be fully removed from trackability and just being off the grid. And then he suggested that like one of us actually do it and, uh, and film it or, but then you wouldn't be off the grid if you were filming it, I guess. Right. <laughs> because uh, you'd have to use Schrodinger's cat kind of a thing. Yeah, so. exactly. But being off the grid has intrigued me as of late. Um, being just completely removed, even if it's for a week or two of time, um, the old, uh, quote like travel and don't tell anybody where you go or something like that that's piqued my interest i am somewhat interested in doing that except the cell phone part is difficult to detach from Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons because it's coerced me into thinking that it's like a safety net in case you know i need to make a phone call or i need to access even my bank or paypal or something like that and it's true like you would have to you'd have to take enough cash out to where you didn't need the cell phone, even in case of emergency. And then you just have to hop on a plane and you just have to go. That's it, right? You have to tell me. I would know when you got on the plane and when you got off the plane yeah, and where you, you got off the plane from. But from that point, you'd be, you'd not know. From stepping off the plane, you would not know. Cash and being a sit in a very small town somewhere that has no cameras. I'm letting you know right now, in the next month, this is happening. And so I am going to put to the test this like off the grid and I'm just going to see if maybe baby steps, maybe like try to go off the grid for like eight hours and see how that goes. Okay. Like, uh, it's like dieting, like don't go fully extreme right off the bat and just chip away at it. Okay. Do that. I kind of go off the grid every weekend. (laughs) Do you? And well, cell phone wise, absolutely. You should turn it off. No, I just, I don't ever have my ringer on. And uh, if I'm at the house doing whatever, it stays on like my nightstand. I'll be in the living room. I won't even hear my phone. I don't see my phone. My wife gets really mad sometimes. So your digital wellness or digital well-being score is pretty high on the weekends? Mm, I'm still watching a lot of TV. Uh, yeah, that can bring your brainwaves down to alpha quicker than cell phones. Entertainment. You're an alpha brainwave guy. I have no idea. It's not a bad thing. It's just like the general. Isn't that all of us? Are we all alpha? Yeah, I think so. Like as adults and and when we're 
fully conscious. Like we're like right, right, right before and right after we, right before we fall asleep, right after we wake up, we're in theta waves, right? Uh, I believe that's or the something case. Like that. Maybe and it's then, gamma. Yeah. I think melatonin changes things when you go to sleep and serotonin changes things and when you wake up. I just don't know if it goes to beta or higher. Um, but alpha is the general like brainwave activity, but that's contingent, in my personal opinion, upon the environment and this, this subjective sort of immersion that people go through. As, like I think our, our natural brave, or, I'm sorry, I think our natural brainwave Frequency is much more elevated than that. It's just the world around us has diminished it to a certain level because we surround ourselves with digital. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with digital distractions, with stresses, with cyclical routines, all of these things contribute to like the stagnation of where your brain waves are going to be. And, like we're on autopilot, kind of. And yes. so we're not operating at our full potential. There you go. And. That is why these little tests are very interesting to me of like what you do on the weekend, just throwing your phone away uh, or turning it off, turning the ringer off. It probably changes a tiny little thing in your brain that says, ah, finally, a little bit of reprieve. But then you watch TV and you nullify all that from the brain's perspective. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's <laughs> necessarily true. It's chemically true. The brain doesn't distinguish the difference between a cell phone and a television. The frequencies being emitted out of your phone. And, but I don't know that walking through a park creates that much difference of watching a TV show. It sure does. I don't know that it does. Well, it's sensory immersion is much more amplified in a natural setting. You have sight, you have smell, you have... I have all that from my couch. You can smell your TV. Sight, smell, like smell in the living room. <laughs> but that's not a new environment. You know what the smell of your... So I know what the smell of the park is. That's not a new environment either. You don't know it all the time. Can you pull up the smell of your living room right now? Yeah, it's like 12 cats. <laughs> but you have that sort of default to where you can say, I know what my living room smells like. I'm trying to approach this from like the brain's perspective. So yes, you know what you're living with. Something, smells something like, you're watching know. visually, even if it's on a television, isn't stimulating in some way, shape, or form is not That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying no. it's not stimulating in a different way for the brain. The brain doesn't know unless you're watching something that transcends brain waves and appeals to like some part of the hypothalamus, I guess, that that says, Oh, we're learning something new here. It's all the same to the brain when it comes to programming there's a word there's a reason why it's called programming all i'm saying is the cyclical nature of the programs that we watch on television or on our phones and our engagement doesn't change as much as the natural landscape out there because the natural landscape is somewhat unpredictable so the brain sort of thrives on unpredictability when it comes to elevated activity that's my opinion that's probably why, like, if you're in a car accident, which is unpredictable, your brain kicks into a much elevated, you may not make the right decisions when you're in that elevated of well, a It goes to state. flight mode, and I don't know that you're really thinking about anything. Does it go to flight mode all the time? In an accident? Sure. I thought it would go to problem resolution, like, analytical, like, what's my next Absolutely step? Absolutely not. 
People go into full-blown panic when they get into that stuff. They're not analyzing shit. Interesting. Not everyone. 99% of people are not analyzing a goddamn thing. Huh. I think it probably takes a lot of uh, practice and discipline to teach yourself how to stay analytical, calm, calm and collected in those situations. Like, like what you know, pilots go through. You know, they they have to drill these things in simulators, yeah, so that when it happens, they don't go into that you know that panic mode. And yeah. so then translated to the real world and and real life for like just general folks, we're all animals. Yeah. <laughs> But that's because we don't have enough time to be anything else. Our responses are instinctual in, in emergency situations or even just surprise type of things. You know, you I'm walking along and, you know, something brushes my shoulder and, you know, you just you have this immediate reflex. You know, I think we I think we act a lot out of reflex and not planned responses. One of my biggest pet peeves when I was working in an office was when like someone's phone would go off and everybody in the office would look at that person. It, it was like an un, it, it wasn't part of the routine of their day to hear a, a cell phone ring off in the office. And I was working with 10, 15 programmers and I would just sit there and stare at my screen because I know that if I turned around and I looked at that person like everyone else was, it wasn't going to it was going to piss me off that I was observing everyone looking at something that was out of their ordinary groundhog day sort of like expectation for the day. And that's another pet peeve of mine is that I don't want every day to feel like groundhog day. Not for me, certainly, but even for the folks that are around me, it's like. But people find comfort in patterns. It's the reason we do routine things. Yes, I think it's good to have routines. And I also think it's good to sometimes break those routines. So I, or maybe, advance maybe them, perhaps, or elevate yeah. them to try something new, new comfort zones. Yeah, um, it, you know, you can occasionally try something new and then decide, did I like this better than my normal routine or not? You know, like even just the the uh, routes that I drive places. Um, you know, and in the suburbs, you know, there's so many possible ways to get from point A to point B. And occasionally I'll just try a different way that I know works and I'll be like, oh, you know what? Actually, this one's a little bit faster or there's fewer lights or, you know, there's no You go without GPS, right? Yeah. Nice. See, that's the adventurous man side of, of exploration that we're missing today. <laughs> no GPS? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that GPS is kind of uh, making a part of our brain atrophied a bit yes you know absolutely this spatial uh, recognition and and you know being able to know which direction you're facing and and, and keep that kind of mental like bird's eye view uh you know kind of image of where you're located visual memory is being hindered by that there was a recent study i'm glad you mentioned that about taxi drivers and what it did um taxi drivers from the 90s i think or even the early 2000s and what um the the difference in their brains at certain points in their job based on like them learning all the various routes of the city and plotting out essentially a map in their heads of what the city looked like over time and the receptors and, and the little neuropeptides that triggered when they'd have to, you know, see a new route or they'd have to uh, go somewhere they hadn't been. Or even if they went somewhere, they've been 150 times and they knew exactly where they were going, and how to get there in the optimal route. Those are things that, yeah, when you tell a machine to do it now, it sort of shortcuts everything. You don't like shortcuts. No. 
but you like to. But I don't know that that would not like. <laughs> maybe it's just me or or not me. I don't know. Uh, but if I'm using GPS because I'm going somewhere I've never been, um, I well, good example when I was right, you know, driving Lyft, right? Like that thing would tell you which way to go, and I would always go, oh, it's not really the best route. Right. And I would change the route a lot of times. But on the flip side of that, I also learned about a lot of different places in this city. I had no freaking clue. But if uh, you had getting to go, in and around, you could do that now because you're in your forties and. Like if I asked you to retrace one of those routes that you did that you plugged in the GPS, you could do it based on your knowledge of the city of Dallas. Yeah, well, I've grown up here essentially, yes. right? So I know. But if you've grown up in a GPS era where you've plugged in your directions every single time you've gone out and you uh, rely on it, there's no way. Um, yeah, we have a coworker that a scientific can, American can, can only go. When they're they're going to and from work, can only go one route, and if they vary off of that route in any way, shape, or form, they're lost. Yeah, that's that's Which not just crazy. That's not good. That it's crazy. That builds dependencies, neurological dependencies on not only needing help to get places, but not being able to function if you know things go awry technologically in the future, and you know. Then what? What happens to those people? They their brains concave and no, they follow brain. someone else who can <laughs> who knows how to who knows what's north and south. Uh, Scientific American did a study on um, taxi drivers in London. This isn't the article that I read, uh, but this is from 2011 and talking about the hippocampus ballooning and uh, turning and really firing based on. Um, all of the memorization that the cabbies had to do over there for like learning all the streets and all that. So yeah, they, they have some really um, crazy high standards to be a, a cab driver in London. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. The, 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 the tests that they do and the having to map things yeah, I don't out. I think they, they use GPS oh, no. per se. And if they do, it's just for traffic. Yeah. Fascinating. It's very British of them to have such high standards <laughs> like that for cab drivers. <laughs> it comes to cabbies. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to Europe? Yeah, I've been to a few places. You, Morgan? Yeah. I'm, I'm the only non-Europe traveler here. I've never been to Canada or Mexico, the two closest countries to me, but I've been to Europe. Yeah, I've been to both of those, too. What, did you prefer Europe over Canada and Mexico? No. Well. Where'd you go in Europe? London. Okay. And then uh, Frankfurt, Germany. Hmm. Was that just a airport hub? No, I rode a train from London to Frankfurt. So, I mean, you kind of see a lot of that stuff, but you're on the damn train. Nice. That was a senior year trip. Been a long time since I've been over there. I was only in Canada briefly. <laughs> I guess I've been to Canada twice, Niagara and Windsor. Didn't Both you? right across the border. <laughs> yeah, I'm just right across the border. I thought you went for a um, work-related conference, too. No. No? No, I didn't get to go to Vancouver. Mm. I thought it was Toronto. I didn't get to go to Toronto either. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. In Mexico, I've been on both the east and west coast of Mexico. So, Hmm. If if we're talking about European travel, I will say that the coolest thing about whenever I was in Europe, it was in 2006, summer 2006, and the World Cup was going on in France. I Hmm. specifically did not go to France because I wanted to avoid the craziness, but I happened to get to be in several different countries when those countries were playing and when they won some pretty key games. Uh, 
so I was in, in Barcelona when Spain won in the quarterfinals, got to celebrate with them. I was in France when France won the semifinals. Mm-hmm. And then I was in Rome when Italy won the, the finals. You would have thought that it was a war zone. Cars were on fire. It was... Yeah, if, if I didn't know that they were celebrating, I would have been really scared. That was But it was a good energy, right? Yeah. yeah Minus I mean, the cars on. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was overboard, but like sure. nobody was like intentionally hurting people. It was just, you know, some, some good old uh, destruction of property. You know. Rowdies. Yeah. Brainwave, brainwave frequencies. So delta is the lowest frequency. Uh, four hertz or less, and it occurs in deep sleep and in some abnormal processes. I'm just going to read the brief intro. Then there's theta, um, which is classified as slow activity and seen in connection with creativity, intuition, daydreaming, fantasizing, and is a repository for memories, emotions, sensations, etc. Then it's alpha. Good, healthy alpha production promotes mental resourcefulness, aids in the ability to mentally coordinate, enhances overall sense of relaxation and fatigue. All right. Then beta, generally regarded as a normal rhythm and is the dominant rhythm in those who are alert or anxious or have their eyes open. That may be like the fight or flight. uh, Perhaps. Yes. And then gamma. Subjective feeling states, thinking, integrated thoughts, associated tasks and behaviors, high-level information processing, binding, physiological, analytical correlations. There's something Morgan told me that pissed me off about two or three weeks ago. You've really been holding on to that. Mm-hmm. He said it before. He says, you're over-analytical about a lot of stuff. And I tried to emphasize to him that I don't intend to be. I don't try to be. I don't seek out overanalyzing a situation. It just turns out that way. What if I am sort of chemically dependent upon however my brain works? I mean, am I not? Isn't everybody. Right. <laughs> and so if my brain is just going to naturally be analytical about everything, and I'm also an optimist and a glass overflowing, glass half full kind of guy, then... Can I not turn it into like, what if it is a positive? What if I don't have to turn it into anything and it is a positive and that my brain just works removed from the, because just take a look at my life. I don't, I don't live, I don't don't work a nine to five job. I do have the free roaming ability to wake up in the morning and when my serotonin kicks in, like everyone else's when they wake up and get hit by sunshine. I can turn the energy into whatever I want to. So I have the option of routine versus new experience just from the onset, which I don't take for granted. And so what if, what if I do have the ability to keep a, a consistent higher level of brain functionality based on my environment on a day-to-day basis? Should I not take advantage of that and sort of like analyze the shit out of it. Every little thing. That's an awful big assumption that because of what you do or how you do it, you're at some higher level than what that's not what I said. Maybe on a Freudian level, that's what I said, but on a chemical level, I'm suggesting that that happens because I'm not submitted to routine. I would suggest you still run through a routine. Yes, but I have the ability to consciously change it 
on but a you whim. don't necessarily. I don't, but I do. <laughs> really? So like, not really. I, I bet you if you really analyzed what you do and how you do it and the way you go about it, that you'll find that there's a routine in there that you run through. We open this discussion with new experiences and liberation um, to a certain degree. I seek that out on a minute by minute basis, like on a day to day sort of experiential thing. I think that if you experience new things, you turn on new parts of your brain and your emotional receptors that never got to experience that. Sure, there are common experiences that share links between one another, like you work at this office versus getting a better job for more pay at a different office, you might feel elevated senses of like growth and, and um, enjoyment for a short period of time. But at the end of the day, things are probably still working the same in your brain. But actual bona fide like different experiences, and this is where I'm kind of on your side, it's, there's only so much that I can do presently that is going to feel and actually be genuinely different than something I did yesterday. But I think that changes over time if you can keep the trajectory going. Of I don't know that it can. Have you ever tried? I don't want to. Because of comfort? I just don't feel any need to do that. So let's just... So when Let me you ask, ask a hard question. Why, why, didn't you, why didn't you publish your books? Well, they're not full-on books, first of all. I don't know. Just got lazy. So what if that's your cycle? You just get lazy. Sometimes. What if I'm making the conscious decision to not get lazy? But what I'm saying, like, there's routine in what you do. Absolutely every day. I know you think there's not, but there absolutely is. It's not 100% true. Okay. Just saying. 70%. Yeah, you might come across new items, but I'm telling you there's a routine to what you do. I encounter new people. I have new conversations. I, when you're answering phones, you're talking to someone different every five or eight minutes. Yeah, but you're doing it in a... Um, so in order for that to be valuable, a, so what you're telling me is you where those salesmen really are the most enlightened on the planet? No, because they approach every single person with the same shtick, with the same script, with the same routine approach. But they're in a different environment every day, and think of all the different people they're encountering every day. That's got to be something. It's contingent upon the recipient of the door the doorbell or the knock on the door, giving them a different experience because they're not doing anything. The door-to-door salesman isn't changing unless he is. He's not changing his approach on every knock of the door. So it's contingent upon the person answering whether or not they experience something different. That's why a door-to-door salesman will come back home and say, uh, I had one guy who wasn't here at all. I had one lady who wanted to chat me up about politics. And then I had a guy who slammed the door in my face. So their level of experience is contingent upon other people. What I am suggesting is that I'm taking ownership or trying to over my experience level of Yeah, but you're doing the same thing the door-to-door salesman is doing. We're talking about this from like a strictly um, work-related aspect, and it's interesting to do that, but that's not just what I'm talking about here. (laughs) I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about my approach with women. I'm talking about my approach to... Well, we know that's flawed, but... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> what? But the reality is that it's not flawed. I'm quickly... I don't know that you're ascending here. 
I could make the argument that I am. Okay. I could. Hey, I'll be happy to be proved wrong. <laughs> I know. I, I, I look forward to the chance that I am going to prove you wrong in that okay. regard. Yeah. You just playing a numbers game here? You just hope if you uh, make enough mistakes that eventually one time you'll get it right and can prove them wrong? Partially. And I'm saying well, that without fair, any details. To be just... fair, I'm only familiar with two people. Right. I guess you've ever dated. So. But I feel like there would be very much commonalities between previous ones that I'm unaware of. <laughs> this is turning into a funny little segment. <laughs> because you're not wrong, but it is assumptive. It's even assumptive on my yeah, part. You have to make it's assumptive on my part. I've known someone for short period of time versus knowing someone for a long period of time. But the person that I knew for a long period of time was not nearly as open as the person I've known for a short period of time. The important stuff that I needed to know about someone, I feel at least was disclosed much more rapidly. Was it? Yes. You don't know the truth there. If you're really being honest, I don't don't know know the the truth, truth, but like you may have, you're left with this feeling that you got that or that there was more openness, but that may not be true. But that comes down to the argument we were having uh, last week on the 70th episode about reciprocity and getting what you give. Remember that talk? Yeah. Like I feel as if energy is some can be matched in this universe and that if you are being honest and if you are being truthful and you're being vulnerable, then you're going to get one of two reactions from the other recipient of that energy. You're going to get complete silence and complete, like just no response, or you're going to get an equal response. You're not going to get a, this person's being honest. This person's being vulnerable. This person's being truthful. Let me be a liar in return. Because if you do that, it's, you can see the psychopath. It's not happening consciously, but it definitely happens that way. But it can be picked up on that way because they're polar opposites. So you can sense, well, you can sense when you're being honest. If I ask you a question and I ask you to be 100% honest, you know if you're being 100% honest. Mm, Maybe not. No? My truth may not be honesty. If I ask you a personal question, it has to be. You're the person responsible for your truth. It's the same thing with, with an online profile. I'm just going to give the answer that I want. I, I'm going to build this image of myself to you the way I want you to perceive me, right? I'm not going to necessarily be honest. But then you're not being honest. Yeah, 99% of the world's not honest. But if you are like being, But if you are being honest... That's where you get into this threshold of like the, the energy you. There has to be a back and forth over time for you to really be able sure. to judge honesty. Yes. Like you don't know honesty on a first date per I, se. I would agree that I think that it takes some time, you know, and, and the amount of time it's subjective. But, yeah. You know, there's, there's not just a, you can just have a, a long conversation and just ask, very blunt questions have a very, or even just have a very frank conversation and just know that it's exactly, you know, the way somebody's truth. And honestly, I think it's partly too, just because people change. And I say that just as somebody who has struggled with knowing myself, I have unknowingly been deceptive because I didn't know myself. Interesting. And I reflected back what I thought people wanted to see and not intentionally, but it was a, I don't know what I want and I don't really know myself. And so I'm just going to give back what I think 
this person wants. Wants. Um, out of a kind of a people pleasing sense, you know. I've admitted that I've done that as well, but that could be part of your first or your old life truth as well. Yeah. The fact that you were a people pleaser and that for sure. But you, it's not. Uh, it's not disingenuous. No, it was, because it just it yeah. just caused a lot of of you know personal you know and relationship issues because um, you know I was not not doing it maliciously, but. Um, you know, if, if I don't know myself and can't be honest with myself, I can't be honest with other people. And so I'm hurting myself and I'm also hurting other people by not letting them know the true me because I don't know the true me. It sounds kind of sure. weird, but you know, it, it's, it, you know, it, it hurts me and it hurts other people whenever I don't know myself. And the so, level of authenticity yeah. just isn't wholly there if you don't right. have that self-awareness at peak level. And so, I mean, that, and I only say that just because that's kind of on, the, you know, the the forefront of my mind because that's basically what my therapy is all about right now. Interesting. Is figuring out who I am, what I want, being, and and not being ashamed to kind of go after that and be, you know, say what I want, and people can take it or leave it, kind of kind of a thing. Right. Times have changed, right? They have. Like, I still don't feel like I'm growing up, and I'm 48 years old. Not well, yet. About to be. Yeah. Don't date yourself. But you know what I'm saying. Well, by the time this episode's live, hey, I may be already. That's another jab at me. Your birthday's in like a month. Three weeks, I think. I'm guessing you're the one responsible for editing and publishing. <laughs> I am. And so far, so good. Yeah. I mean, we only had three episodes in. Uh, no, it, July's not. But we're like yet. on a summer pattern of every other week, I guess. Yeah, I told you, 50 episodes a year is our target, and we'll be there. We'll be at 100 by. Um, no, we won't get December year. Yeah, we're at 71 right now. We're halfway to 100. Yeah, but now we're going on two years. Right. In our first year. Yeah, we won't we'll get to 85, maybe. Maybe. That's 14 weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got holidays, Christmas, all that stuff. Glass half empty, glass yeah, overflowing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the reality is, <laughs> is that mathematically, I'm accurate here. 14 weeks. Is three months and two weeks. Well, I don't know. And we're in July. Yeah, there's not that many weeks left in the year, bro. Then that's where I get fancy with editing and I bend the rules. And we record for three and a half hours and I chop it up into three episodes. (laughs) Just to spite you. No, um, I wouldn't do that. But yeah, um, the target was 50 episodes a year. It's like only like 25, 26 weeks left in the year. So 25, 26 episodes gets us. If well, we, we, know, we know there'll be a break over holidays. We just, we know there will be. Sure. Maybe we'll be at it'll be close. Well, it'll be we'll close. See, we'll see. I think the 100th episode should be recorded remotely at like, with some nice background and it should be videoed. It just has to be. I don't care. Like Mount Rushmore, Niagara Falls, somewhere in... Somewhere naturally appeasing to the background, like in the background. I mean, Miami green, Beach. Green, screen, green screen or uh, no, real. Oh. Yeah, real. Yeah. I would rather it be a beach. A beach. Okay. You can do that. There's a nice polluted lake about 10 miles away from here. <laughs> There's a bunch of polluted there lakes. There are a bunch of polluted <laughs> 10 miles lakes. from here. I'm all about new experiences, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> this is why the frequency of guests and recurring guests is somewhat of an important uh, leap in this show's progression, because it's fun to go from the Morgan and Sasha dynamic to the Morgan Sasha Miguel dynamic. He's probably 
well, easily um, here more often than anyone else. Um, so he's been on, I would say, one out of every four shows, right? Uh, probably. Something like that. And then our guests, we've had three-time guests, two-time guests, and as of late, one-time guests that we hope turn into multi-time guests. But then the dynamic changes all the time when we have guests on versus when we have Miguel on, when we have Morgan and Sasha strictly. So at the core of that is the pattern recognition that I'm very interested in when it comes to analyzing. And I know what a Morgan and Sasha meandering episode sounds like, even though I don't know what we're going to talk about. I know the, the ebbs and flows of it. I don't necessarily know the ebbs and flows of an episode like this, where we bring someone who hasn't even met half of the show ever before. And you and I, it's not like we know each other up and down. We know each other to a certain level where I knew this would be good. <laughs> but it's changing the dynamic that gets that result. And that's why I'm not going to give up my argument on this with you to say that, yeah, changing little things. You've seen Groundhog Day. How does the movie go? He changes little things every time he goes through. Huh? So that's all people should try to aim for. But it's still a routine. There's the, yeah, but things change around him. The Andy McDowell character falls in love with him. At the beginning of the movie, she hated him. That's a big change. That's from one emotional extreme to the other. Okay. Well, love is a pretty strong force then, is what the movie's trying to tell me. Morgan doesn't like love uh, either. This is why you would not be good in the CIA. You could never interact with other agents that were female because you would be falling in love and you would die very early. <laughs> it was a very good thing that you were not put into the CIA. Into the field? Yes. What if this is all my cover, though? Then I'm the best CIA agent ever. Yeah, which is unlikely. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We'll have to see. I can shift when it comes to that attitude towards love. But I can't not be honest about it. I can acknowledge when I am being overly optimistic about a situation that's not really providing what I want it to provide. I was married for seven years. Yeah. I've been vocal about the fact that I felt as if it was somewhat of a stagnant relationship when it comes to my idea of what growth in a marriage should have felt like and that I wasn't feeling like there was growth when there should have been because I was, in my opinion, putting forth effort to elicit growth. Life experience has shown me to be able to pick up on stuff like that. And, well, the recent happenings, it just felt like I was being presented with the inverse of the last seven years in a reduxed period of time. And that can be a dangerous thing. Because it's 50-50. It's down the middle. You have to, like I said off mic earlier tonight, I'm ready to let time dictate whether what I felt 
and what was going on was legitimate and real or whether or not it was some sort of weird cause and effect situation where the result of what I forced to happen needed to happen to balance out my happiness or rationalization for what I was coming out of versus what I was feeling. You told me as I was entering this new phase that on paper, a rebound or on paper, you could be the light is brighter in certain. If my therapist was telling me this, I would listen to what they were saying, but this is why I shouldn't go to therapy because then I would be able to return with analytical evidence as to why I felt it wasn't. And then I'd have to convince the therapist that it wasn't just rationalization, but it was actually analytical evidence that I've compiled because I've gone through, I've therapied myself in micro instances of like, are you doing the right thing here? Is, is, are you being genuine? Are you being, um, are you being honest with yourself? Are you doing this as a retaliatory, action are you doing this i've gone through the litany of like potentialities and what i always reverted back to is that your heart feels good about this your heart your gut the connections to the cerebrum that they share feel good about this so that's what i should always fall back to in case of doubt yeah i agree so fuck the shrink, right? Well, I don't, I don't know that that's uh, the way you want to approach it, right? Um, it, my gut may only be right 10% of the time, right? Well, but what I heard uh, Sasha saying was that it's if you do the analytical work too, don't solely rely on your gut. But if you've kind of looked at it from all angles and weighed, you know, just logistically, does this make sense and, and whatever else? So that you're not just making a, a really just a uh, rash decision. Yeah. And it just objectively like bad. Yeah, I decision. don't know if you're, if you're going with your heart, you're making that gut decision. There's no way you can anal- analyze it. There's no way. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> the emotion I, is affecting your analytical ability. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely the wrong one to weigh in on this as I've, <laughs> made so many poor decisions based on my gut. (laughs) But you actively thought about the decisions you were making as you were making them, right? Yeah. And then once the, uh, the cloud of emotion, uh, subsided, I had a really like hard, clear look at how I deceived myself again. (laughs) So was, Okay, here's a not a personal question, but an intimate question, I guess. Was the world around you, the silent world that you were observing day to day, that only you observed, was it supporting your irrational looking back, your your irrational decision making, or was it telling you that you were um, on the wrong track? Oh, it was alarm bells all over the place that I just, my, my gut, my feeling, uh, chose that to ignore to, okay. that I see it in retrospect. Yeah. In retrospect, it's fascinating. I'm somewhat in retrospect now to a certain degree and the continuation of the world around me saying, 
your heart is still leading the way here. Continues and continues and continues. That's to say, like the Richard Marks songs hit even harder now <sighs> than they were hitting three to four weeks ago. You and your damn love songs. <laughs> Thinking to myself, it's unavoidable sort of synchronicities, to go back to a term that we're both familiar with, that I, you're familiar with the term synchronicity as well, that I have learned over my course of analytical time to pay attention to. Unfortunately, I'm also in the, this is where it's like a real thin line because I'm also aware enough to ponder the idea that it's all just pure circumstantial coincidence. But when the coincidences are so intimate and they're so particular, it becomes something that drives my analytical mind kind of crazy in a good way. But it also makes you manipulatable. That didn't sound right. Manipulatable? Yep. By algorithms? Because it's certainly not the girl who's sitting at home saying, ah, when he walks into this store, he's going to hear a song that reminds him of me. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's you. But I mean, just getting into the whole situation, you could be manipulated that way. Then the inverse of that can also exist. And the middle ground is what needs to be sought. Because if if I'm to take the two years of our discussions here and say there's one extreme, then there's the other, and that the middle ground is typically where you should be. You're presenting an extreme here where it's like none of it is Yeah, I don't think it's true, but yeah, none of it is, is it could be. None of it is real or it's all circumstantial and you should step back and analyze it and make the proper decisions. And I'm saying, fuck that. I'm gonna go all the way hundred miles an hour. You said a couple weeks ago, you probably end up in jail in two to three months. <laughs> like, I don't know what for, but okay. Um, the middle ground is exactly what I'm doing, which is taking a step back, living in my own world where it comes to the synchronicities and observing them and experiencing them, but I'm not acting upon them in that hundred mile an hour attitude that I was a month or two ago. Yeah. Now the problem is, I was driving 100 miles an hour a couple months ago with a passenger. It's not like I was going in a direction to someone. I felt as if I was driving with the passenger, and we were both enjoying the speed. I would imagine two heroin addicts probably have the same feeling. (laughs) (laughs) But the baseline difference here is that it's not heroin. I I don't know. Maybe love is heroin or (laughs) heroin-like. People get addicted to it, strung out on it. Man, that's <laughs> something to think about. <laughs> well, it's I, fun. I am one who probably I've smoked pot a lot in my previous life, and I part of my segue away from it was that I was going to seek out natural ways of eliciting the same feeling of because I understood the high Let's of get marijuana. Some CBD oil in. My <laughs> pot is natural. Yes, but meaning without substance. Without substance, yeah. yes, meditation and, or whatever. Exactly, and and I've made it sort of a, an agenda for my personal self to experience that high, and I've gotten there infrequently, but I haven't been as steadfast in the pursuit of it as I wish I was. Um, 
but yeah, it just comes down to the broader discussion we've had on this program about the brain doesn't know the difference between love and heroin. Perhaps the brain doesn't know the difference between marijuana and, you know, skydiving or uh, climbing a big mountain, whatever it is that trips up the same receptors. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like Turkey. Turkey has melatonin, not, that's a weird segue, but Turkey has melatonin and tryptophan in it. And those are, <laughs> those are chemical things that make you sleepy. So that's, evidence that the same feelings you feel in the wee hours of the night when melatonin starts pumping into your brain, um, naturally, it's the same sort of feeling you get when you eat a slice of turkey. But I've never done heroin, Morgan, so hopefully uh, it's not. I just watched Train Spotting. <laughs> or Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. Uh, well, it's an interesting discussion to have. What if love is unique? What if love does something to the brain and to the heart that cannot be simulated or recreated via another experience? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that that would necessarily then be true. Would you go 100 miles an hour if that's the case? What if, uh, what if love is um, an explorable sort of emotion and uh, a feeling to where... If you're someone who enjoys discovery and um, exploration and you have a decent basis of like your understanding of what it is so far, that you incorporate that into your next experience of it and you say, okay, I'm going to drive a little so faster. Or I'm going to, I'm going to, are you one of those that thinks there's, you have a soulmate out there and there's really only one person you can truly love? I've contemplated that recently. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think I have changed to where compared to where I was previous. I do believe in the idea of having a peak love when it comes to a member of the opposite sex in heterosexual sort of arrangements. Uh, which is the one I subscribe to. So yes, I believe that in my case that there is an eventuality that I'll meet someone that is the max out on the that scale. But that doesn't mean that my love is contained to maxing out there. Uh, I believe in things like radio love as well, where I can share my love for an animal while being in love, madly in love with a woman. I could love my friends in a different way while being in love with a woman. I, I believe in in the heart being this very interesting piece of our anatomy that has an exponential level of growth, much like the brain to a certain degree. We just don't use a whole bunch of it. I don't think we use our heart <laughs> as much as we can use it. I think that our capacity to love is very understated and that because of environmental programming and routine and other things, we have developed these very compartmentalized ideas of what love should feel like, what you should do with it, um, what a soulmate is, all, all of these um, very linear cause effect, like one line end-lined sort of um, trajectories where it's really 
more like, I don't want to sound cliche or very silly here. It's more like a, 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 a seed turning into a, a flower in that if you have the idea of love planted in you, what you do with it and what the result of your actions and your feelings towards the world around you are can turn into sort of the blossoming of um, a different look and a different uh, specimen in general. So, yes and no when it comes to the soulmate. I believe, I think there is something to be said about like growing with someone at a certain age and then spending the rest of your, your life with them. So, I, I don't know. The soulmate talk stuff. <laughs> I'm sweating thinking about the soulmate talk. That's the point in life that I'm at right now. Because 10 years ago, I believed in the soulmate concept. And then I was presented with the idea of, <laughs> on paper, what a soulmate <laughs> felt like. Or, or at least the experience of, of what it would be. And... I felt as if I was not deceived is a harsh word, um, but I was coerced into having a very minimalistic approach as to what a soulmate should be. And throughout that experience, the idea of what that word was grew into this much larger concept of which now I'm actively not seeking, but I'm actively okay with presenting itself. And if it does that, then I got him yawning here at this point. It's a right. tough question. How do you I'm not yawning about your question? I'm yawning because I get no sleep. So. <laughs> How do you, let me flip it real quick. Cause I haven't answered the question. <laughs> I can't. I don't know that I do just simply based on the fact that really ultimately <laughs> it's such a small quadrant of people that you could actually encounter based on your location, your physical location. It'd be weird that everybody's soulmate is within 50 miles of them. For example, why would that be weird? Key periods of time. That'd just be weird. But, but that's dealing with laws of magnetism. Well, it's if, dealing with laws I, of energy. What, what that tells me is it doesn't matter where I live. I would have a different soulmate. That doesn't make any sense. If two people are truly meant to be together, it wouldn't matter. I if think they, it's half, half empty. Yeah. I think you're, you're talking about like fate, like that if, if, if they're your soulmate, then you are in their vicinity because they're your soulmate. Eventually. Yes. Correct. At some point in time, which, but, which I hearken back to you and your wife, like starting point, just, just draw out the starting point, the map. Where is your wife when she was born? Well, she was born in Phoenix. Okay, where were you born? Irving. Okay, so the distance is not right in the same ballpark, right? But as time and as fate weaves its its web or whatever you want to say, um, I can't be poetic in this particular. Yes, but I mean, I mean, she lived here since she was ten. Okay, but keep Google Maps it out. Just Google map it out throughout a 20 to 30 year time frame. And what you see is two dots that are far apart, get closer and closer and closer until they're close. And then arguably it's one dot because she's driving in the same car as you or she's driving. She just happened to be in the same city at the same time that I was here. We met at the right period in time for us to both see each other and fall in love. But I don't believe that there's one soulmate out there for you. There's no fucking way. If I'd never met Kelly, I would have met someone else and been married to them. I didn't live in Texas. I would have met someone else and been married to them. But you 
didn't. That's the whole point. Well, if if you grew up like you had no, if you were in a tribe, right? Your soulmate can't live in China in in 1500, (laughs) and you eventually make your way together. It's, I mean, it's it's Andy based. Andy, what do you think about all this? (laughs) What's your? Do you believe in in the idea of a soulmate? My my thoughts on it have changed so much over time. Um, I don't know that I believe in one fated soulmate destiny with yeah. another individual in yeah. a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it can be multiple people. I I think that there's, um, I, I do believe in in destiny and fate and in people. I I believe that um basically everybody that I've crossed paths with in my life was served a purpose, whether it was predetermined, mm-hmm. destined fate, whatever. Um, it served a purpose for my life, whatever it was, um, good, bad, or indifferent. And that there's something to learn from it and that there is love to be had. Um, I think that there's, you know, obviously certain people that you're more compatible with. And then there's a lot of element of choosing to be committed and to love somebody. Um, but I, I don't know that it's, I don't believe that it's just one person. Um, is that the um is that the default definition of what a soulmate like is when you th- when you hear the word soulmate the word association is like one person that you commit to for like what what's the uh what's the detailed definition of what a soulmate is cuz when you ask me the question I have to know like that aspect of it to say whether or not I believe in it. Yeah, there's only one woman for you. Or man for you. Or soul. Yeah. 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 When I, and so when I hear that, I think that it is, there are two souls that are meant to be together for I do their entire that. lifetime. In the aspect of meeting each other, bonding with each other, and loving one another on a unique level that can only be experienced by those two individuals. Yeah. I believe in that. I guess maybe I'm not saying it couldn't be true. I'm just saying I've thought it was true and turned out not to be true enough times in my life that I doubt it. In retrospect, were you able to see where it wasn't true? Yeah, but it also then I, I kind of like almost uh, play tricks on myself in my mind, like because I'm like, well, that's just my my rational, logical brain looking at it, and I'm disregarding the things that I felt at the time. At the time. But your level of experience at the time was not as tenured and not as experienced. Yes. And and so I, I don't know the answer, but what I take from it is that I've learned something from every relationship, friendship, everything in my life, that there's something to learn from that and that I can can be grateful for that. I'm a scholar of 80s and 90s music. <laughs> I There are songs that I'm listening to now where I'm like, I've heard this a dozen times, but not in my active adult life. So how do I know the words of like this Lionel Richie song? That's a more obscure Lionel Richie song. It's probably because my mom played it in her car frequently, or I listened to the radio passively as a six-year-old while I was being babysat or whatever. But there's parts of my unconscious existence that picks up on some of the music that I've heard in my childhood that I don't necessarily recall um, actively. And being a scholar of 
self-proclaimed scholar of 80s and 90s love ballads and music and the concepts that were sort of we, we talked about this earlier. You went to see Richard Marks at Six Flags with a bunch of teenagers. And Richard Marks, in my opinion, must have been pissed off that it was a bunch of kids dancing around to uh, hold on to the nights, which is a, a deep song when it comes to the the words that are being... <laughs> there weren't any adults there. Richard Marks is 35 at the time in 1990, maybe a little younger, um, maybe in late 20s, early 30s. And he's going through, you would think he's going through something because Right Here Waiting is on the same album. So, well, he might be singing someone else's song. I don't know uh, if he I wrote think he wrote. Did he write them? Yeah, he wrote those. And so the analytical mind goes to the general concepts and uh, emotions that are elicited in all of these love songs, whether it's Celine Dion, uh, Whitney Houston. There are about three or four recurring themes that cement themselves in me to say, like, um, there's a shared experience when it comes to love that people go through. And then, depending on the variant that your uh, path takes, like whether uh, your love interest gets a new job and has to move away very early and then they're long distance. Then you kick into like a right here waiting or, um, another song talking about You're how difficult 10 it is. years older than I am. I like how you say <laughs> like he's only 10 years old. So that means, you know, he was like 23, 21 when all this stuff was happening in the eighties. So 1990 was right here waiting and hold on to the nights. Or right here waiting was 1990. Hold on to the nights was 80. One of them was seven, 87, 88, yeah. Okay. And that's about the time I'd be seeing him on the Six Flags so he was tour, 25. which means he was about 23, 24, All right. maybe 25. Well, he was also a traveling musician, so his experience with women was probably significantly amplified. And I believe in that, too, is that the sheer number of relationships that you've had and experiences with a variety of women can accelerate your understanding of them and uh the whole thing the whole courting process no i think i have a pretty good understanding and i don't have a long list (laughs) considering i've been married for the last 25 years i would say i don't think the the quantity is going to give you greater understanding it's going to give you more experiences and more stories but i think that you can have a great understanding with the very few experiences good Because I'm on that end of the spectrum as well. The low frequency. like to think I have a good understanding. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but I've analyzed the shit out of music lyrics and love ballads. And um, there's enough there to convince me that there is the idea of uh, a more intimate unique sort of uh, meeting of faded souls when it comes to that. It doesn't mean you end up with them. It doesn't mean you share a life with them. That's like the having the cake and eating it too, I, w- I would say. That's like the less than 1% outcome, sadly. My intrigue is in why it isn't 
the hundred percent outcome now at this point with folks because if it was then the conviction and the confidence in on a hundred percent is a little extreme right because i think a lot of this depends on your conviction of the idea of love and the idea of just um companionship and and sharing time and emotions with another person and not everybody even has that baseline um in effect so i guess uh let me keep this relegated to um folks who believe in the idea of love <laughs> as being a real thing um if you graduate from that then it you can sort of develop it gets tough here because like you in the moment i felt similarly about previous relationships but then you get to a point where like within a snap of the fingers things change and and it, it's very brisk it's very i told morgan that i've gotten past what took months or years even within hours and days and his response is that's not good <laughs> but my response is i feel as if it's based on the fact that it's like small talk it's you don't want to have a redundant conversation we don't want to sit at the table and have a replica episode that we had 20 episodes ago tit for tat who would want to do that so i feel as if that's the progression towards soulmate aspect that I believe in is that you do get to a point where you connect with someone on a level that you don't really understand. And if that happens, the problem is I turn into analytical mode to a certain degree. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. And what the world's telling me is that if you try to figure this out, you're not going to have it. That's what it boils down to. Because this maybe is not for you to figure out. And that's scary to me too. For me, the, the trick um, to happiness is not holding too tightly to expectations. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and maybe that sounds a little like fatalistic. Like it's like you just, can't ever hope for good things or something. And that's not what I mean, but it's more, I want to focus on the here and now and pursuing the people and the things that bring me joy now without holding too tightly to this is where it's going to lead a year from the now, potential. 10 years from now I see. and just let it unfold and trust that the way that it happens, if I am being true to myself and being loving and kind and generous will be the right result. That is a beautiful approach. And I'm on board with it. The added context for th this particular situation is that very quickly I've had to go from living in the here and the now to not having the here and the now. Not out of mine or the other person's volition necessarily. But because of outside circumstances that said the now can't really continue at the rate that it's going. Because there's, and 
analytical me says, oh, I got that figured out too. It's because there's cleanup. There's details in the individual lives that need to be addressed first so that they don't get swept under the rug so that the optimal outcome is a potential still. Because if it's rushed through, then the entire situation sort of is is hampered and and suffers based on the the acceleration that sure and that's scary to me because that leads me to thinking that I was not capable of doing all of that cleanup as it presented itself and that I needed more time away which means that I haven't been addressing stuff in my personal life that I should have been as an individual in order for that next leap to be even crisper and cleaner than I could anticipate it to be. But think of it this way too, is if you had done that necessary cleanup in your life, Mm -hmm. then you may never have crossed paths because Correct. the timelines wouldn't, wouldn't match. And so it's, it's mind warping yeah, stuff. And, and, and it, it is, it is a very maddening. I can, I can relate to some of that. Um, and it, it can drive you insane. And I'm just, for me, I'm just trying to let go and just be like, there was, it was good for a, for a time <laughs> and it was good for a reason. And I don't know what all that was, but I'm going to try to appreciate it and be thankful and send love out into the universe and not i say this because i'm i'm all, i'm just constantly almost like a mantra like telling it to myself is just like just trust that it's for the best <laughs> i don't always think that and i don't always feel it but yeah that's all i can do because otherwise i'll just drive myself insane it's it's really refreshing to hear that from like an optimistic perspective <laughs> As, as opposed to <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you here like I don't give a shit what happens next week next month next year 10 years down the road I'm not projecting my relationship to be anywhere all I care about is just being with her still yeah so, see he's, he's present goes. but he's, that's he's, he's in but that now. could be all that I care about as well Morgan the, 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 but the reality yeah. is you, but the reality is that I can't about, be yeah but you've talked about the divorce not going to where you thought it should go what do you mean like it wasn't progressing the way you wanted it to progress, right? It, there was no growth, right? right. Or you, you I mean, mean, previous marriage, right. the, the seven years, right? I'm just saying. Oh, you, you would have done the same. You're going to do the same thing with any relationship that you get in. And, and, <laughs> and this stuff that's happened the last few months, that's not love, bro. That's lust. It's revenge. But it's not. Okay. Keep fooling yourself. But it's not. But it's not me fooling myself. Sure, it is. But I've experienced what because if you really is. are analytically looking at this, you would see that there's a million things that say this is a terrible thing. Red flag, right? Red flag, red flag. But One after I, another, after another, after another. I see them, but those are the challenges in sort of accepting if you see the beauty in the situation. The, the, then you're just then you're just blind then. Not blind. Yeah. I think I see it's, I see the pros and the cons and I'm willing to erode at the cons in the present moment over time. 
I'm willing to accept them almost. Analytically thinking about the whole situation, you'll realize there was never going to be a positive result. That's interesting because you don't know the ins and the outs of the last three months. Yeah, I don't need to. There's a personality type and it just wasn't going to work ever. It's fascinating because her personality type is my personality type. So here's the thing with you. What you probably need to do is when you meet that girl Mm -hmm. and it doesn't, it's like, I don't know. That's the chick for you. That's the girl you need to go after. (laughs) When you meet the girl and you're just like, oh my God, I love this girl. That's the girl you need to just, I can't do it. I'm not going to date her anymore. You're saying enthusiasm is the red flag? Yes. If you're really excited about her, she's wrong. Just step back and think about it. Why is that? Explain. Because that's sort of what your your loop is here, right? That's what you're sort of attracted to. You're sort of attracted to, oh, okay. The girls that I'm crazy about? Yeah. Well, yeah, who isn't? But at the in the same token, I've been crazy about different women well, for different reasons. Some people are get crazy about people because they know that situation will never go past six months or a year. They know subconsciously or unconsciously mm-hmm. that it's not going to work in the long run. But right now, I'm just going to go for it. Okay. So what if I'm what if I was crazy about the last girl because? I viewed her analytically as a progression from why I was crazy about the previous girl. You ignored so many red flags in that whole thing though. I think you're putting, you've projected that to what you want it to be, not what it actually was. The argument can be said that that is the case, but this is why I'm at the point where I'm at right now, which is like, I can't wait for time to prove whether I'm, right here or not now Whitney Houston's playing in my head <laughs> because that's what she does at the end of the bodyguard <laughs> just pick up and move on because she knows that if she stays with Kevin Costner she's a hindrance to him that's why the song stresses that but then on the same soundtrack you have songs like I have nothing and run to you which is Whitney Houston saying, like, if she was really following her heart, she would take the same leaps of faith that Kevin Costner, in my opinion, was ready to take in that movie and forego his uh, career as a bodyguard. (laughs) Which is so important. Right? (laughs) Uh, But um, at the end, it's it's a lot like Casablanca, too, at the same time. Um, They meet... Well, they've known each other prior, but they meet again in Casablanca during these war times. And then at the end of the movie, um, spoiler alert, there's that faded scene on the runway where, you know, they have a decision to make of whether they forego their entire individual life paths that they feel committed to for whatever reasons or whether they cave into something that they don't necessarily know what happens if they do commit to it fully. That's, yeah. There's a lot of people who are really infatuated with the love that can never be, right? It's a storyline in just about every every vampire movie. Sure. It is probably the best example, even in um, Schitt's Creek. But that's because nothing should ever present itself as something that could never be. Well, no one ever sees it. Right, you're not ever going to see it. But it, but part of the reason you feel that way is because it's never going to be. 
it's part of the attraction. It's arguably been and is. So letting it continue is all I'm seeking. Whether I am directly influencing it to continue or whether I'm stepping back from it and saying, if it's meant to be, it'll be. That's the stage I'm at. I don't think all of this can be figured out in a two to three week period of time. Because I don't have, I don't necessarily even have answers as to why half of the stuff in the last three weeks has occurred that's occurred. I don't have literally no, no understanding of it. Synchronicities telling you, move the hell on. But these are synchronicities that were not natural. Yeah, they're not natural. Earth wobbles on its axis. Mm, Interesting. Anyways. Somebody stepped on a butterfly. A little personal uh, third hour meandering. Sorry to uh, to bring that to the table here, but it's an issue. <laughs> but it was a segue from one thing to another you to can't another. Stop talking about the love aspect here. I can't. I've been I've been in that zone for it's like about watching. ten weeks. Yeah. Ten to twelve weeks. Yeah. And. Um, I don't know. I got a stack of about 30 pieces of paper with cursive poetry on them that I can't contain. I sit here at this table, Morgan, and I just start writing. Sometimes you're such a cliche. (laughs) The poems aren't. Broken heart, write poems. I I should present myself as brokenhearted right now. But again, if I'm being honest, I'm not brokenhearted. Doing the douchebag move of reading The Art of War. I've had The Art of War in my household for years. I got you, but it's still a douchebag move. What do you mean? <laughs> it's not a douchebag move here. It's okay, cliche so. in every freaking movie. <sighs> Just a living cliche here. You'd think so. But I'm going to flip your expectations of this entire thing. All right. Andy, I, look, I don't know, man. You and I, I think, I think we're we've gone through. We'll discuss this a little off mic a little bit if you're okay with it. I think we've gone through very similar sets of circumstances that are intriguing to discuss. Yep, I really would hesitate to say that I could tell you what you should do because I really think that everybody's different. I'd be glad to tell you some of the realizations I've had about myself um, and how they've impacted the way that I interact with other people. Um, But uh, am I, am I coming off as a guy who's not, and you know, the briefs about this Morgan knows details. Am I coming off as a guy who's not thinking clearly about everything that's happening in his life and he's just sort of uh, subjected to the whirlwind aspect of it and sort of, uh, not that that's a bad thing either, and just kind of like floating around in this fucking natural disaster of uh, a hurricane that's sweeping through in this past year and he's just at the mercy of it. Or am I... Am I trying to brave the storm? Am I trying to control the weather? Like, what am I doing wrong here, Morgan? <laughs> I, my my thought is that you are being analytical 
as much as you can be when emotions are involved. Um, and can emotions be analyzed on a scientific level? I think they can be. I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that it's possible to, to separate your thoughts and your emotions and almost observe them as, you know, as a third party yeah. and, and, um, and see how you are yeah. reacting to certain situations yeah. and then even comparing it to how you've reacted in past similar yeah. circumstances to where you can observe your own growth and have a little bit more confidence in yourself as to where you're at now versus where you have been so that, but again, how much of this is right. Who's to say that we don't reunite here in 10 years and have a podcast episode. And we're like, remember that time I thought I had myself figured out and holy shit was I way off. (laughs) But then the, the issue is that what if we do have ourselves figured out now and we are on the right track and we are thinking clearer than we ever have thought and why should i let a a 45 year old cynic tell me anything other than what i'm feeling is the right way to go so i i do ironically (laughs) since i'm literally sitting between you two i I feel a little bit like i'm i'm kind of in the middle (laughs) 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 um but you know i I guess what what i'd say is just kind of repeating what I said before about expectations, you know, is that you, you, you do have to like, whenever, you know, whenever uh, Morgan says, you know, you just got to let go and move on. Like, I think you kind of do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean like, it doesn't go forever. my way. Like, and it, it just means do what you got to do right now, mm-hmm. you know? And it sounds like right now you don't have any choice. There's one option. And I have so, no choice. So you keep doing it <laughs> and you, you try to just keep those, those feelings in check and not, you know, break down into a sobbing mess on the floor like I did. And Oh, that only happens two or three times a day in the car (laughs) when certain songs come on. That's all. Yep. That's all. You can even watch some movies, right? No, I could watch all the movies. Oh, okay. Shrooms help too. So (laughs) There are certain movies I'll stay away from at this present moment in time. I'm sure. Too funny. Um, it's, it's all interesting. And, you know, part of me is, um, the word theatrical is not the word, but part of me is trying to be as, um, brazen with my discussion of it as possible so that I can have even more analytical arsenal for my future as it develops. Like the whole idea of having a podcast is just an, an extension of having a personal blog on Twitter or having, uh, a, a list of musical um, projects that I worked on and recording my thoughts at that time. This is just a different format. And I listen back in edit mode. I listen back in audience mode. I listen back in a variety of modes and I'm hyper analytical about the work that I put out into this world in whatever facet it is. So the silver lining in all this is that my level of discussion about this particular topic over the course of the last two months, you'd say, Morgan? Yeah, two, two and a half months. It's got me pretty, hopefully, it has me set up for, however this goes, has me set up for like in three or four years' time, I can listen back and say, oh, no, now wait a second. Listen to the advice that Morgan was giving you here. Listen to what Andy was saying here. Listen to what you thought here. 
and then I'll really be able to see like whether or not I was on the right track. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've never been able to be one that can, can write much or journal. I've tried to journal. Um, and I've lately, I've been able to do so much of that. And, and for me, it is so that I can actually go back and look like I do it week to week. So when I talk to my therapist, I was like, I need to remember what I was actually thinking and feeling right. at that time. Cause in it, the moment, it doesn't stick with me. Um, it's like even, dreams, right? Yeah, right. I, I got to write it down right then or yeah. else I'm not going to remember. Um, but it'll serve a more long-term purpose too, of being able to look back and see what I was actually feeling and thinking. And I'm resisting the temptation to burn some things that I've written. And uh, <laughs> maybe I will at some point. I don't know. But You shouldn't. Don't burn anything you've written because it's all the facets of what you're experiencing right now. And yeah, I don't want to get x file or uh, supernaturally here, but we tend to do this in the third hour a little bit. I was telling Morgan that the flow of time, in my personal opinion, um, does work in both directions and that it's hard to argue that our past doesn't affect our present state because we're creatures of experience. And like the relationships you've been through, the jobs you've been through, the growth that you've experienced directly is responsible for the person that you are right now or the person that you're trying to become. But I argue with Morgan that the polar equivalent to that is that we have some sort of, and I've developed this over the course of the last couple of weeks a little bit. I think because it drives me insane, but go ahead. Sure. I like to develop concepts that drive him insane. (laughs) (laughs) The equivalency to that in the uh, pendulum swing, to put it in uh, terms that we can correlate to previous conversations is that the future may be ping ponging information back to us on maybe a level. This is my new development, a level of energetic resonance that we are not fully understanding of yet. Meaning to say um, the discussion we just had about soulmates, for example, um, where point a Kelly Morgan's wife starts her journey here and point B is Morgan. He starts his journey here and over time they converge. Um, the past, present and future we can legitimately say right here, all one moment in time, right? Because, Oh, look at that. Uh, Just the past, the present became the past and the future is now the present. Okay. So it's all sort of like the now moment. The present moment is really all that exists at the end of the day. The future is, Yes, if you think about it in like um, science fiction terms or um, long terms, like the future is tomorrow and then the year 2020, but these are all constructs. Um, The reality is that all three of those um, time periods are are interchangeable. They're all the present moment. So if it works in one direction, it certainly works in the other direction. The thing is, I haven't been able to, um, when you look at things in hindsight, you can say, oh, I, if I had made this decision here, things would have worked out completely differently. Or I wish I'd known this when I knew that. If you apply that learned knowledge to the present moment, what are you doing as a positive effect on the future. That's the like energetic resonance that I have not been able to fully flesh out yet verbally or in written format because I'm starting on the the written bit a little bit. 
just so I can get my time travel, <laughs> my time travel theories and uh, quantum. Uh, Got to get published, man. Equations, yeah. But this is publishing in in a certain way because, look, if if the off-ball chance that uh, this discussion or previous discussions make it through nooks and crannies to one person who's actually in the field of like scientific research of the shit, then maybe the way that we're even speaking here about something like this is quantifiably like um, convertible to a mathematical equation, for example, uh, or a scientific uh, formula that doesn't that sort of take um, the luster out of it if it's all mathematically figured out. You're the guy who said, isn't everything? It math? is. It is, but we're seeing like... Language and conversation is... We're seeing like in sports, for example, the thing that made baseball romantic and great is being destroyed by, by analytics. Moneyball. Is it being destroyed? Because the natural flow of the sport is still somewhat unpredictable. Well, I mean, the, the shift alone defensively um, has single-handedly ruined the game. Strikeouts are way up, home runs. Uh, I mean, it's either strikeout or hit a home run. It's boring. That's true. But is baseball life? A lot of ways. Yes, in a romanticized way. But what I'm saying is, is if I don't want it to happen to my favorite sport either. I mean, I don't want programs for horse racing to tell me with way too much accuracy what the end result's going to be. I don't want that. What does it do to... Okay, so let's say that so baseball's onto that and the ratings go down. They are going down. Okay. So like does baseball survive? Well, they're making changes, right? Right. So... If they don't make changes, yeah, it's not going to survive. I don't think. So, again, this is a good thing. Because if you apply what's happening to baseball to the real so, world... I don't know how killing a sport that's been around for 150 years... You're not killing years, a sport. You're changing it. You're you're evolving it. We don't know what baseball looks like in a hundred years. It might be More better than what it's looking. It's going to be robots, but yeah, <laughs> will, we know what it's going to be. <laughs> it will be robots, but we don't know if it's more enjoyable in a hundred years than it has been the previous hundred years. We don't get to know oh, I, that. I think you know right now. It's worse today than it was yesterday. Yes, but that's that's because we're in the middle of the transition, perhaps of past yeah but you know the only way it gets better is by going back to what got it here that's not true oh i believe it is 100 percent. that's bias to a certain degree because you experienced it under your terms being in it's over when you overanalyze something the beauty goes away it doesn't get better Mm, the beauty goes away when you're talking about something that's beautiful and or has a flow and elegance to it Love, for instance, if you analyze it to a point, it's not love. Right. It's math. But you force upon it an evolutionary state of which no, I believe. You don't. Yeah. At what point in history has that ever happened? Uh, well, this is, is going to be a very uh, unorthodox approach to this. Okay. But just the viewing of the electron is an example, in my opinion. When you observe the electron and... You uh, are you familiar with like the double slit uh, experiments and all that? Okay, so the observation of observation is um, my correlation to uh, analytics here. So observation interchangeable with analyzing here. 
for the discussion that we're having. If I observe love and I begin to analyze love, if I observe the electron and I begin to analyze it, it's going to behave in a different way than it behaves when I'm not looking at it, correct? Mm, not really. That's what happens with, with the electron. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle? Yeah. So, But you're saying that's not necessarily true of love? Not necessarily with love. But it's chemical. Everything else. But it's all chemical. The, the little things inside of us, the atoms <laughs> that are floating around inside of us that give us these chemical reactions to okay, emotions but, and concepts. they could love. never be actually analyzed and they could never be a math problem that could be easily figured out to move forward. The observability of them can be completely analyzed and completely rooted out so that we get to the actual, like, unknowns of what is out there. Yeah, I don't, and I think you take away the beauty when that happens, 100%. You take the beauty of what is known away. Yes. But you'd venture into the unknown. You wouldn't, because all the data tells you what the known is and will be. It doesn't all of a sudden just hit this level and then become something different and it you does. have to analyze that. No, it doesn't. That's how it's always done. The, the heliocentric model of the, the universe was a temporary phase of which, oh yeah, we got this down. We know exactly what it is based off analytics and science. And that's, growth in, that's growth in science. That's not, that, that, that's completely different. But what are the scientific tools that we use when we talk about emotions and when we talk about things like love and concepts? We're talking about our internal organs. There's no, there's no microscope that can uh, look into my, or there's no stethoscope or I, maybe. Um, there's no instrument that can measure my understanding of love. It's an internal sort of thing. It's, uh, it's an emotional thing. So if I, if I observe that and I analyze it fully, what I am willing the universe to do out there is present me with an unknown that I have not analyzed yet. So I'm actually encouraging the propensity of the growth of my understanding of it. Or in this particular situation, just use the last three months of my life, for example. Oh, I've got this figured out. Oh, this is exactly what I, I think it is. Oh, absolutely. And then a hard fucking no, it's not. Right. But to observers who weren't in the moment, they saw this coming. They saw this happening with certainty. Yes, but they didn't learn. Without being in the moment. But you didn't learn the, you, you didn't garner the analytical detail. Because it didn't detail. But it mattered to me because I need the analytical detail of what I was going through. I would argue for. there was zero analytical detail there. Zero. Then you wouldn't be privy to the Because the details. observer from the outside who sees all the analytical and goes, yeah, this is a car wreck. But, just waiting to happen. But the observer in that situation is, uh, again, I'm not, uh, this doesn't, this isn't a, um, this isn't a, like, you were looking at this wrong, don't take this the wrong way. But the observer has access to this much information, whereas the person going through the experience has access to the full spectrum. That's not the to say your advice isn't The person helpful. going through the situation is blinded but to that most of the is not true. Oh, it is absolutely true. But you can't convince me that it's true when I was doing what Andy was suggesting is potentially accessible and removing myself from the situation and observing myself as a You're third party. You're not doing that in the moment. I can do that by writing stuff down and say, well, reread this. What are you talking about? Is it 
But that doesn't make sense. Yeah, you would never have written that down after day one, after day two, after I day did. three. I did. You have a journal of your entire feelings during the whole point of the of yes. that relationship. Yes, you know why? Because they were they were vocalized and they were open and they were transparent via textual format. But your mind bends that stuff to fit its narrative. Did you actually write something down that you can actually go back and read? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. The flow of the conversation is in your mind, right? But so written now in a in Word a document we can print out right now and read. Well, yes and no. Because the Instagram conversation's been deleted. <laughs> <laughs> but not before I could translate them into... I don't know why you can't admit you were not in control and not observant of everything that was relevant to that whole situation. No, I can admit that I was not observant of everything that was relevant to that situation but everything like, that was relevant to me i was in control and perceptive but you of. Weren't. well i think about what was relevant to me on a not on a selfish level but on a what i had access to having control over and what i had access to having an understanding of yeah all of it was observed by me. I didn't have access to, to situations that I couldn't get a bird's eye view into. And unfortunately, but there was enough there to have a really good idea of what was happening and going on. Maybe. That's all. I'm saying. So back to the flow of time. Have you ever thought about like, what would happen if you, instead of rushing and going a hundred miles an hour at it, if you'd gone 40 miles an hour at it, did it already done it already. I don't know. I I told you last week in a non in a non-vulgar way that I treat a lot of my life experiences as experiments in the moment now and that I do study them on a day day by day basis. After I go home when I'm laying in bed by myself, yeah, but- I sit and I analyze my day from a scientific approach. What did you do different today? What was this about? What was it, what was going on? I can't turn my brain off to it at this point. And I sleep soundly. I go to sleep like a baby. <laughs> Probably because you're exhausted. That just is wearing me out just thinking about analyzing every single Well, I don't do er- not every decision. The ones that uh, yeah, that I, I lay down with them and reemerge is like, hey, think about what happened. Yeah. I'm Good. Not- I mean, everyone should have some, some self-reflection more regularly. Do so. you have a voice in your head, Morgan? My voice. Uh-huh. How, how do you know? I can hear him. <laughs> well, you, he's doing a pretty good job of convincing you it's you by masking the voice. <laughs> you have a voice in your head, Andy? You know, I don't. Um, not really. Interesting. Uh, have you ever had a voice in your head on a consistent basis? No? No. Fascinating. When you read a book and it's from an author whose voice you don't, know what they sound like you read the words and you hear your voice yeah yeah i do and and that's actually part of the problem why i don't read books it's so (laughs) i'm so slow because i do it as if i'm like reading it out loud like i can't speed read but i do hear that voice in my head but like when i'm i don't usually think to myself like in a in a narrative i don't hear my voice talking to myself interesting you do don't you morgan what (laughs) hear myself yeah yeah that's how i read 
No, no. Uh, you, you hear the voice in your head, like yeah. when you're not reading generally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What if I told you that getting rid of that voice actually opens up your sovereignty over your your consciousness and that the voice inside of your head is sort of a running narrative that is doing all the overanalyzing that you think I'm doing and that you criticize me for doing. But in reality, I do it in like a snap of my fingers. It's not really analytical. It's, it's almost like circuitry. Emotional. Is what it is. If you're doing it in a, in a snap of a second, it's 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 emotional. Which you think is bad, but in a I, lot of cases, it's not. In a lot emotion. of cases, in most cases, I might argue that emotional decisions are the wrong decision. But if you have an understanding of your emotional state, then it could be trending towards which something. I don't think is possible at all <laughs> to have a full understanding of your emotional state mm. in, in the moment. There's no way. There is no way. So let's get back to the time discussion just in brief here. What if you do end up living in the moment, Andy, which is the goal for like a lot of folks these days, right? To live in the now and live in the present moment and uh, this this sort of uh, the stoic ideal of um, just being a, a a tree blowing in the wind, <laughs> whatever. I can't think of the perfect analogy, but uh, it's sought after, right? It's not something that can happen very quickly. You have to put effort towards it. You have to have sovereignty over your emotional state. You have to have sovereignty over your actions. Your You have to have accountability. You have to have a decent understanding of who you are to even enter the realm of being able to live in the moment. I would argue that. What if you are living in the moment, Morgan? And what if you're on the edge of the moment? Meaning you're at the furthest point always of where like past, present, and future all integrate. They all mix. They all mesh. You're on the edge of that. I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying, what if someone is out there, then would they not have to have that emotional, um, deep resounding understanding of who they are in order to have access to that, that tier of living experience? You would have to, I come on. In the year 2500, you're telling me that human beings are as idiocracy, if not dumber than they are now? Yes. No. Because if you look back, the the historical president says that we've evolved somewhat when it comes to... Technology's changed. I don't know that the human being itself has evolved. The jobs we're able to do. The, the learning te that's technology information is not necessarily technology. Oh, it is. It's absolutely no. controlled by technology. It's controlled by technology, but our retainment of it and our understanding of it is you could argue the brain circuitry is technology. And I've argued that the brain is really just a form of technology on a human level. But I don't, if I didn't have um, Wikipedia, I'd have Encyclopedia Britannica. So then you'd have to argue that, uh, a book is a technology, which you could argue is. is okay. 
But when you, when, you think, when you make everything around you technology, then of course we're at the mercy of technology to help us evolve. But at a certain point, you got to say like in the year 2100 even, if we haven't progressed and if we're not okay with saying that, oh, some people could be evolved beyond the idi- idiocracy and could have a decent understanding of who they are. They could have a decent understanding of what emotions are and they could be pioneering new experiences that in the year 2500 are just commonplace. That's like the arrow of time that I don't necessarily want to play with. And I don't want to um, like make Nostradamus like just ingest predictions on, but they just seem like if I take this bit of time, this bit of time and I, I look at it, they're predictable. That sooner or later, especially when you insert all the technology that we've experienced here in the last 50 to 60 years, some people think it's cataclysmic and it's an eventuality that where the human race just dies away in the next three to 400 years, whether it's through climate change or through war or through spontaneous combustion of the brain, (laughs) like the brain just blows up. Because it's too much information for most folks to take in. Maybe. I don't know. But. What I'm saying is, in a hundred years, people probably have. Right now, we might be a heliocentric model of understanding ourselves. We might be in the zealots will still be blowing things up. They'll be wrong, and we'll know that they're wrong, and we'll have evidence they're wrong. Racism will still be present. They'll be wrong. We have more evidence that they're wrong. Well, they're wrong today, but that doesn't mean we've moved forward as human beings. But their numbers are diminished. I don't know that that's true. Well, we certainly aren't in slavery-like states and environments. We wouldn't tolerate slavery. We saw how one person could daily make a comment on Twitter. And just that racism that lies just beneath the skin comes raging out. Absolutely. That's not going away in a hundred years. It's not going away in 500 years. It's tribalism. It's been here for 50,000 years, a hundred thousand years, a million years. But I think it's the wrong standard to say that when it is completely eradicated, then we're evolved. I, I at least personally have an optimistic view that it is, you know, it is trending better, you know, that what's the, the quote, you know, that the, the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. Um, it is, it is quite long and it does seem to bend towards justice over time. We're not burning witches at the stake or we're not even assuming the people are witches and then burning them at the stake. (laughs) (laughs) We're, we're not living in, Civil War. Well, okay, never mind. I'll take that one back. We're <laughs> we're not living in uh, slavery influenced. Uh, well, based on race. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> it seems as Is if it better now than it was then. I'm going sure. to step away while you have this conversation with yourself, real quick. <laughs> Well, no, I'm just, as I'm saying this, I'm analyzing whether or not what I'm saying is 100% accurate, and then there'll be a part, it's not a voice in my head, though. (laughs) It's not. It's just a reaction that's saying, well, now wait, Um, the wage 
levels within this country, within the um, environment that I have to study from, are indicating that we are still somewhat in a state where certain members of certain races are not as equally afforded the same opportunity. But that's not slavery. That's... No, but we we know, right, that you can make laws that essentially punish. Yes, that's um, that's the races, thing. right? And, mm-hmm. and, or uh, at least advantage some. Sure, <laughs> which is essentially the same thing. Yes, but it's not as brazen as it was. So if you just look at the, which might be worse in a lot <laughs> of ways, it is. <laughs> it's a little more hidden, and you takes longer to see and. Takes longer for you to go. You know what? That's wrong. You're right. I'm, I'm afraid if we keep talking too much longer, you're going to turn me into a pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> he he has a tendency to do that. I've withheld for 71 episodes. I'm, I'm okay. I don't want you guys to come to my thinking. I'm no, just, but no. I, I, but I'm his kidding. his point here his point here is accurate because while it's not physical, psychological may have even more of a, of a detrimental effect. Um, even when you now when you incorporate like genetic expression into the whole thing and DNA sequencing, like physical is one thing. Yeah, you can you can punish someone and and uh, physically cause harm onto them, but that doesn't necessarily change. You know, their uh, it can the Dutch hunger famine effect had that influence where women were. Um, experiencing starvation and then their babies would die within what 10 years of being born from malnutrition. Um, even after being properly fed and all that, they just, they just died because of the genetic deficiencies that were present during the, um, inception of the child. So psychologically the phase that we're in right now with like racism in America, for example, Ah, but see, I'm having this internal battle where it's like, yes, but the education does the inverse. The education of like, say, uh, a young black child, for example, to say that we're not here, we're, we're not in the 19th century anymore. We're in the 21st century. And here's how you can change things yourself. That has a sort of a, a DNA um, effect as well. So th- I, I think the tug of war is a little bit more even than it's ever been. I don't know, man. I, I really don't. The, the tug of war for education is going on as we speak, right? Yeah. It's not like you can just go self-educate. You uh, can. From, from the, yeah, a five-year-old's not self-educating. No. But a five-year-old isn't learning the ins and outs of slavery either. Nor should they be. Well, I'm not saying a five-year-old would, but the basis of learning is happening, right? And even the 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 tone that's being set early on, yeah. Um, and at some point, you're going to have to face the, the young people are going to have to face the fact of what happened, right? And, and real history, and right, now, like they're fighting over it now. I mean, you have the South Lake Carroll uh, um, ISD. Sorry, the racing motorcycle distracted me. Um, uh, you know fighting for what the curriculum is going to be in their high schools. I mean, that fights nationwide at this point over how do you teach? What do you teach? What um, was the big dispute locally with the South Lake Carroll thing? 
Um, I forget what they call that theory of critical race theory. Critical race theory. Hmm. So, what were the sides of the argument? I don't. I don't know all the details of it, but I know that the there was there were some cases of some pretty severe um, racist bullying that went on there, and so the school board was trying to enact some policies to to help counteract that, and um, and the white parents didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, well, you know how we are, right? If we make a mistake, we go way extreme this way, and yeah. that's where we're at. And they're trying to, you know, like to the point like where people are going to be monitoring every student's social media account, and uh, it it was kind of a way yeah. overboard. You know, yeah, like you needed you needed cool. to change things, right? But you didn't need to go one eighty. Yeah, needed to go about ninety degrees, not one hundred sure. degrees. While that was overboard, is that not an eventuality? I mean. You've heard my theories or my ideas of well, we like have, monitoring. And- well, I mean, we have this this large contingent of people who just believe America is this greatest thing that's ever been invented, and you can't talk negatively about it, right? right. You can't bring up the fact that a lot of it's based on slavery. You can't bring up the fact. Doctrine of discovery. Yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. You can't, can't talk about Columbus, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's got a day. Come on, he's off limits. And... Uh, so, I mean, you, all that battle, you know, if you want to, you know what's going to be evolutionary mm. is when our lifespans are 500 years, 800 years. Because so I think the longer you live, the more tolerant you become and the more really? educated. I you was going to say the opposite. I was going to say the more intolerant you become because who would want to endure 500 years of uh, stagnation? Vampires? Maybe. <laughs> No, but let's let's say you you end up living 500 years and things go according to your your prognostic that idiocracy worsens and that regression is inevitable. Why well, would so you want to live 500 years? If everybody's, well, if everybody's living 500 years, you're not having a bunch of freaking kids. If huh? you're not, well, if you're going to live 500 years, you're not going to procreate at the same level. You just won't. We're already slowing down on birth rates. Yeah. Because and it's it's a direct correlation to living longer, in my opinion. Fascinating. You think that's true? Yes. On what basis? Cycle of life. I mean, you know, when you when you were a caveman and you weren't sure you were going to live to thirty, yeah, you got to start churning out a bunch of kids to keep the clan going, right? But when you're living till ninety or a hundred years old. There's no rush. I mean, well, I think, think there's think a about psychological the, think about sort of the marriage age, right? Everybody's getting married when they're 18, 19, 20. Now people don't get married till they're in their thirties. But that's not a, an awareness of like, oh, I'm going to live longer if I don't get married. That's a, like an environmental sort of, uh, based on longevity though. I guarantee you if, if everybody died when they hit 50, we wouldn't wait till we were 30 to have, start a family. I'd have been on board with you if you said it was stress related and that having kids and being married and that sort of lifestyle uh, inherit just inherits a different level of stress of which can reduce your life expectancy based on that. And that an independent life by yourself is just a little less stressful than like if you're single and you just date or you just have sex. all the way until death and you that's it your stress levels are 
probably have the chance of being lower. I'd be on board with that. No, there's got to be a lot of worry about finding the next mate or the next thing that comes along, right? Sure, there's that too. Yeah. Hmm. But you're basing the extension of life years on on what exactly? I'm 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 missing. Uh, the longer we live, the slower the birth rate's going to become. I'm trying to quantify how that works because that would almost it's it's counterintuitive if you think about it because well, I think it's assuming that the fertility the years of fertility don't increase along with the yeah um so that you'd say so that's that, to say there's going to be one generation that lives well, 500 years but then after that the human race will just die off because they haven't been having kids. No, the birth rate will just slow down. Instead of everybody having, you know, three or four kids or two or three kids for every household, there might be one. Okay. Okay. People aren't going to stop having kids. It's just the rate at which people have kids is going to slow down. No, it'd have to. There's no way we could sustain the population if we were actually right. looking at Forty billion people for five hundred years would be a little. Mm-hmm. Obnoxious. <laughs> Just ride Jeff Bezos's uh, dildo rocket. Uh, <laughs> so. Man, fascinating discussion. Kind of covered a lot. Kind of Bezos. Kind of. We didn't cover him. A freaking info Marshall is what it was. I didn't watch. I'm so disconnected to current events and news. I didn't know anything about the politics of the last couple of weeks. I did read some of the. Uh, topics in light of the potential discussions here but we didn't yeah it's, we had we had better discussions and better so. talks deeper much but I, i'm not going to convince i told morgan <laughs> i told morgan a couple of weeks ago i said i'll convince you when in three four months time something um what was it i said about retro causation uh, the future communicating with the present that you would need to see, uh, you would just need to experience it. Right. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Something that you directly said in the present moment, having an influence on something that you're going to say in the future and then being able to draw the connection between like, you don't even remember what the hell you said. Well, it's tough. It's <laughs> It's difficult to try to – okay. Maybe this is just one of those territories where I'm trying to accelerate and it's not having it. The universe is saying, nah, about the race a little bit. And that's okay. I'm all right with those spots now. But I do believe in the idea that communication with the future is happening on a uh, technological level that we may not have – a complete understanding of at this present moment in time, but that it does come because that's not the end all be all just being able to figure out, um, a better route to a future point based on where we're at right now. That's optimization. That's just, it's optimization on a, on a 
inner level versus an external level, which is what we've been focused on for 99% of the existence of the species. But now all of a sudden you have the opportunity to say, you know what? The expansion, the only people who are going to be expanding physically are the Jeff Bezos's of the world and the Elon Musk. And they're not doing that great of a job. I watched him go out into space and it was basically like he just went to the lobby of the hotel. He didn't really go into the rooms. He didn't explore. <laughs> he didn't explore the ins and outs. He didn't get to stick his feet in the pool. He just, he just did what I've seen done a million times. It was just Jeff Bezos doing it. Big fucking deal. Um, and it was obnoxious and it was not really an, it wasn't, I've forgotten it already. So the exploration, Morgan, exists on the internal level now at this point. I think things change drastically when folks start saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to start looking at the space inside. And another thing in closing, I know in the previous weeks I've mentioned um, time. Let me ask you this. Okay. What if we've got a misunderstanding of, so what's in between the present moment and the future as far as your understanding of it? Is it time or is it space that's in between now and what's about to happen? Is it time or space? Um, well, we view it as, as time. But that is inaccurate if you actually do adopt my hypothesis of the past, present, and future being all one interchangeable moment because there is no time difference in that. So just I'm asking you for the last minute and a half, two minutes of this 71st fucking fantastic episode to say, okay, you're right, Sasha. Past, present, and future, all one moment then there is no actual time between those three stages. But but there could be space. There could actually be space to... Because, see, now I'm getting kind of... Overcomplicated. I'm getting yeah. chilly, cool vibes about thinking about this because the space could be infinite. It could be exponential. If you reduce time to nothing, which strangely is the motto of the show, press play, stop time. Isn't that fucking cool <laughs> so if you actually do stop time and you make it collapse hypothetically speaking and you say it's not really existent but there's something between the past present and the future but if it's not time what is it it's space and well let me add to the cool factor here what's on my bingo card morgan what's my biggest bingo card stamp Oh, I have no... As above, so below. Ah, as above, so below. So what's above? It's not time. What's everywhere out in well, the expanse of universe? Time is relative to the speed at which you were traveling, though. Uh-huh. It's not a constant. Right. So as above, so below. Speed... Uh, how do you get... How do you get within... How do you move through the expansiveness of the universe in the blink of an eye? You by don't. moving well how do you how do you do it you hypothetically don't. well you move faster than the speed of light wormhole it's about the or wormhole or faster than the speed of light so on our local level how would you move through 
the space between the present and the future. I'm trying to solve time travel here, actually. How would you move? You could only move one way forward. You can't go backward. That's okay. Wouldn't want to I don't know that that's necessarily time travel in that case. It's like speed of time distortion. Yeah. But if you wanted to move um, forward in time, you'd have to cut through that space on a local equivalent to what it would take to do the same thing in outer space, hypothetically. Like you'd have to have engines that could eclipse the speed of light or find a wormhole. No, you just have to find a way to move faster. Well, you'd have to find a way to move near the speed of light. Okay. On a, do we have technologies within our being that can develop the external needs to cut through space over the next hundred years and maybe develop? Um, no. No. No, you don't think we get outside of this. You don't think a, a human being in the next 500 years is outside of this galaxy. Well, it might be easy to get outside the galaxy because we are on the outer rim. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> <Just> being honest. <laughs> in the next 500 years, do you think, interstellar space travel mm. is a potentiality. I don't know. Perhaps. Do you think that we'd have to develop... It's going to have to for the species to to uh, move forward. If we don't get off the rock, we're, we're in trouble. Do you think we have to develop the technology internally in order for it to be uh, realized in that realm? No. Okay. Because I think that the external technologies are dependent on the internal technologies developing. I think the only way to become a space-faring, space-traveling species is to become cyborg, honestly. <laughs> then that would insinuate that um, in my lane of theories that we would have to integrate with uh, technology and we'd have to be androids. Yeah. And we are well on our way. Yeah, we're learning how to be avatars right now. <laughs> uh, but I still think it's possible. Just all natural. I know it remains to be proven. <laughs> as long as we got 3D printers reprinting ourselves. Sure. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Andy, how was your experience on this program? And listening to me talk 98% of the time. <laughs> I'm kidding. I try not to, but again, it's one like of those buttons I can't turn on. No, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that uh, I had the opportunity and that I uh, said yes to something that I didn't realize I was saying yes to. So. <laughs> but it was a new experience. Yes. <laughs> yes, and. Awesome. Good. <laughs> it, Fantastic. I didn't ask the last. Oh, by the way. The last guest we had on this show has not been seen or heard from for multiple weeks. So just keep that in mind. Your CIA buddy's got a hold of her. Or maybe maybe she was a Russian KGB agent just trying to get close to you. She could have been. She got all the Success. 
success. <laughs> yeah. Got about as close as you can get. Well, we were happy to have you here for the Absolutely. 71st episode. Yep. Look forward to having you back for another one and look forward to teaching you the dice rolling game next time too. Yeah, yes. I'm tired of getting beat. Yeah. Now you can get beat by two people. <laughs> by one point. <laughs> by one point. Especially Thanks everyone. Dick. I'm oh sorry. yeah, let's let's do that. Sorry, I had to give a shout out to our our uh, new listenership in uh, Azerbaijan. That's wait. where Harry Potter went or something. No, that's Azkaban. Oh okay. But and we've lost. There's them. the one viewer from Azerbaijan gone. Which was, was probably like a bot farm, anyways. <laughs> Now that person's definitely gone if they were real. Yeah, way to go. Uh, but it wasn't my fault. You started it. All right. See you next time. Later.